I will be playing my college football at the University of Drops to the 50, now steps behind the 50, runs to the right side of the 45, Wisconsin to the 40, throws it long down the field toward the end zone, Devin Smith, touchdown! Devin Smith, he's got it for a touchdown in the middle of the end. With the first pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. Hello and welcome back into episode 3 of TFU. We had a little bit of technical difficulties last week when we were recording our Big Ten show, so that's going to be coming out later this week. But today, Josh, we're going to the Southwest. We got the Big 12 Conference, a new and improved Big 12 Conference, and we're going to risk it for the brisket. Shout out, Buckies. I'm excited to get into this one because this is going to be a weird year for the Big 12 because, Josh, we got four new schools joining the conference, UCF. Cincinnati and Houston are coming over from the American. Then BYU coming over from the Independence. That also means Texas and Oklahoma are in their last year of the conference before they make a jump for the SEC next year. And, you know, when I was playing this show, Josh, we were talking, I'm like, okay, we can, that'll be the extent of our conference realignment talk. But earlier this week, Colorado and Coach Dion primetime Sanders are going to be joining the Big 12 next year as well in a huge, huge shocking turn of events and just another just another milestone in the craziness that has been conference realignment and I know Josh we got a ton to get into but first I just want to hear your thoughts on how Colorado to the Big 12 and what's that going to shape up and affect the Big 12 landscape you know what's the Pac-12 going to be looking like and a year or two yeah i just want to hear your thoughts it's really interesting because when, when i started to do this show it's it, it was the first time kind of going through the all of the teams and thinking there's so many different storylines and so many different kind of uh, i think of it from a coach point of view and think of it in terms of like motivations for the team you know what's motivating these guys this year and there's so many different motivations here you've got colorado coming across sort of next they're, they're wanting to kind of prove that they that they can hang you know you've then got all of these new transfers coming in so you've got your ucfs coming in that they, they want to show that they're good enough to hang here you've then got kind of texas and oklahoma who want to show that they're good enough for the sec so that's a completely different motivation and they're motivated if anything more to destroy all of these teams uh, and the teams that kind of are, are good, that what the teams I think are going to be good, you know, the Kansas and Kansas State and, the, and the, these kind of teams are going to be motivated in an entirely different way to kind of show Texas that, hey, look, fuck you guys, if you're going to go, then listen, <laughs> we're, we're going to get, we're going to beat you one last time, and and it's going to be, uh, there's going to be some interesting rivalries, especially between kind of Oklahoma and a couple of teams that that have happened for 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 countless years, you know, that aren't going to happen, and and the last sort of bragging rights are up for uh, up for grabs, so. I think it's going to be a, a fascinating year for the uh, for the Big 12 this year. I really do. Yeah, and you certainly hit the nail on the head that every team besides Oklahoma, Texas is going to want to, if they're playing them, they're going to try to beat them the hell up because they, they screwed over the Big 12. And they're the ones that kind of kicked off all these realignment dominoes falling. And you also mentioned these new players. like they, They're making the jump from G5 to P5. They want to prove that they're capable of playing in a power conference. And then also just conference realignment is craziness, man. Like, yeah, uh, Colorado was in the Big 12 originally, and then he made the jump to Pac-12. But they're just going back, and I think they're going to be taking some more Pac-12 members with them. I've heard rumors that 
know, Arizona could be coming up soon. You'd imagine Arizona State would follow. Utah right up there in the four corners geography area. Maybe Oregon, Washington join if they can't get a Big Ten invite. But we'll get into that when the time comes. Right now, Josh, we're going to be talking previews. And I want you to tell me a little bit about Texas. Takes a certain interesting story this year. I think kind of talent-wise for me, you know, on paper, clearly kind of the best team. If we're talking pure talent, I think they kind of match up better than almost everyone at every position this year. Um, they're also getting a lot of guys back on the offensive side of the ball. Um, they're getting nine guys coming back on the offense. They lose probably the best guy last year in Bijan. Uh, leaves an enormous hole, but, you know, running backs, you can get decent production out of them. They're going to have a good O-line, and they actually recruited the number one back uh, for 23 in CJ Baxter. So... There's, there's a lot of interesting kind of storylines coming out of Texas this year and, and I'm going to get stuck into the offense a bit more kind of to start with. And um, uh, and the, the biggest one is the quarterback, right? So the b- biggest talking point for me is, is Quinn Ewers this year. I mean, at this point, kind of with the amount of kind of fantastic recruiting they've had, the amount of good coaching they have, Steve Sarkeesian's a fantastic coach. You know, bad quarterback play this year if the quarterback is bad. It's inexcusable. The coaches have no one to blame if they have bad quarterback play, it feels like. If Quinn's bad, they've got a very, very good-looking prospect sitting right behind him, you know, in, in Archie Manning. So I do think it's going to be interesting. Ewers is a real interesting one for me as well because I watched all of his games last year when kind of going through the Bijan tape. And uh, if you want to see the Bijan video, shout out our Patreon, patreon.com slash thinkingfootball. Uh, Bijan Robinson breakdown on there for all you Falcons fans. Um but there were some great reps for Quinn, for sure. There were some fantastic reps. Uh, there's a there's a rep that, that stands out to me that I always remember, which was a thread the needle up the seam on the left-hand side in Oklahoma against that game. Uh, I think it was to the tie end, possibly, for a score. Um, it was a beautiful ball. And, and when he played Bama, he looked fantastic. He was off to such a hot start against Bama. I think he ended up with a sprained clavicle, I think the injury was, and, and didn't, didn't come back for that game. It's interesting because... It, <laughs> Some of the issues that I saw with Quinn Ewers and some of the some of the mistakes I saw from Quinn Ewers, some of the bad reps were just so mind-bogglingly bad. I think there was a stretch of me just putting these video clips in the chat of these just absurd Quinn Ewers plays with just like a bunch of question marks as the caption because there was some just real real head scratches that make you say, I don't know if that man should be playing quarterback or not. <laughs> and you can't rule him out for, for, for a few snaps, but they... It, it does concern me when some of the plays are that kind of that bad and you know if it, if, if, if it does go sideways as I said there's a very very good freshman potential freshman looking behind him who I have heard rumours that he may redshirt um, so we'll see what happens there but they have another decent guy um, who, who who they won't sort of have too many issues put in there and, and you know with these mistakes with Quinn can they be put down to kind of first year mistakes as a first year sort of full starter absolutely we don't know and we're going to find out that's why I'm really excited and so sort of, I don't know if you have any points or I wanted to jump in on the quarterback position. Otherwise, I'll jump straight into kind of the skills because oh, I got I got tons of notes on yeah Quinn and Ewers and Far away. March just because you know back in March and April I just remember you saying clips of wow Quinn and Ewers is good and then you're like what is this guy doing <laughs> and just look at those I think it was against the Oklahoma State game which uh, Oklahoma State was able to beat Texas last year just he. He looked like a 18-year-old kid in the pocket. And I think a lot of his issues last year can blame on the youth and the inexperience. It was his first full-time starting gig. Transferred in from Ohio State. He played, I think, maybe 15 snaps in his first year in Columbus. Came to Texas. Won that starting job. 
And yeah, he showed out well versus Texas and, or excuse me, he showed out well against Bama. But when he got hurt, he kind of had that little skittishness to him. And I see it in the tape that you were sending over. Like, yeah, it's there, but I, I don't know. It's now, concerning. It's there, but it's con- there's concerns. It's, it's concerning. But my question for you, Josh, is you, you mentioned that Arch is going to be redshirted or there's rumors that he might be redshirted. What point in the season do we see Arch Manning if Quinn Ewers doesn't look like the guy? And I think we'll know probably that second or third week in the season. We'll definitely know by that Alabama game because if Quinn can show what he did last year against them, then I think we're all right. He's going to be the starter all year. But if he looks shaky, do we see Arch? Let's go through the schedule, right? So they go to Rice, or they start the game sort of, they start the season at home against Rice. So they probably go 1 0 there. I think even if he plays badly, they probably come out of that with a win. There's just too much talent there. They then go on the road to Alabama game two, and that's a huge, huge early season matchup for him. That's, a, as you say, if Quinn, if, if Quinn plays well in that game, then that kind of solidifies him, even if he's bad for the next kind of four or five weeks on the trot, almost till the Oklahoma game. So they go, they go at home to Rice, they go at Alabama versus Wyoming. At Baylor. Baylor, I think, are going to be an interesting proposition this year as well, and, and, and I'll get into those later. Kansas, I think, is going to be a tough game, but I do think that, I do think that sort of Texas is going to have enough to get through them. I think... Well, I don't know, Josh. Oklahoma, Kansas has had uh, Texas' number the last couple of years. It's true. It's true. It's true. And um, I, I am hot on Kansas this year, and, and I just think that they're, I think that they're potentially um, very reliant on on someone not getting hurt <laughs> but we'll get into that um i think if he is bad against bama is relatively mid against wyoming baylor kansas is bad against oklahoma after october 7th arch should be in or whoever will be in if arch is redshirted but someone will be in after that what is that one two three four five it'd be after, after five week, week seven yeah yeah, yeah so after- it'd be going into houston yeah, Texas has six games by week, then six games. Yeah, you're right. If he has some poor performance in, you know, maybe three or four of those games, we could see Arch in the rest of the season. Could be interesting. But I know you got a lot more about those Longhorns, so let's hear it. Let's jump into it. And, and sticking with the offense, you know, the, the skills are a, are, are a real position of strength. Um, the, the biggest name, and this is one of my favorite guys just in the whole of college football next year, is Xavier Worthy. Same. Just an absolutely fantastic, fantastic guy to watch. Just rapid speed electric movement catches the ball and will just make you miss and will absolutely just outrun anyone to the end zone he's just an absolute big play machine and he's got that um, and NFL also he's, frame he's got that he's NFL, got the NFL frame he's yeah he's slightly bigger you know than, than, than these kind of like speedsters and these guys that we're seeing come out kind of with that play style aren't aren't sort of normally pushing six foot on the uh on the heights or scale and he's he's looking like he's up kind of listing at about six foot now and he's definitely kind of got some space to potentially grow as well um I'm not actually sure. I'm not actually sure exactly how old he is off the top of my head, but you know, last year was his kind of... sophomore year, so this, he's a twenty twenty one year old now. Yeah, so he's got plenty year. of time to 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 potentially go to you know see if he ends up at six one six two and maintains kind of speed. You know, this guy is going to be very very high on some draft boards, and um, he actually so rewrote the record books for uh, <laughs> definitely on mine. Yeah, and and you know receivers, the wide receiver whisperer, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he he broke the record for um, Longhorns freshman uh, receiving uh, touchdowns and yards. I think he had nine scores and seven hundred and sixty yards. 
sticking kind of with that receiver core, they've got Jordan Whit- uh, Jordan Whittington as well, who I think is a good prospect, another solid receiver who returns and sort of nearly had 700 yards last year. they got one of the best tight ends in the nation in Jatavion Sanders. They've got Adonai Mitchell transferring him from Georgia, who just is another fantastic addition to an already relatively deep you know, receiver room. He's a name that maybe a bit lower on, on people's lists just because he's been away from the college scene for a while. And I'd be interested to know if you have kind of know much about this guy. His name's Isaiah Nayer. He caught 12 scores for Wyoming in 2020, transferred to Texas in 21, 21, 22. Can't remember. I might have my year wrong there. 21. Um, and he tore his ACL and missed the entire season. But he had 12 scores for Wyoming. And 12 scores is nothing to, nothing to be sniffed at because 12 scores is a lot of touchdowns to get. Um, so he's coming back off of a off of a knee injury, and, and he may be someone that they rotate in because, as I said, they've got Adonai Mitchell, they've got Jordan Whittington, they've got Xavier Worthy. So Isaiah Nayer may be a guy who comes in um, for some uh, for some other reps, for some third down reps, or, or just some some relief reps. But an interesting and, and those five wide packages, you can certainly see him getting some reps in there. I do remember him, Josh, because he was one of the top transfer targets. Really, when the that new transfer portal rule started, he was kind of one of the first guys to get picked up by texas and i like to see him get some reps in his name kind of disappeared after that acl injury josh i think you're right that could be a name to watch for and that's kind of wraps up my my thoughts on kind of the offense i think the offensive line is going to be a relatively strong unit again they got they got a lot of guys coming back on the offensive line and they're 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 a unit that kind of were were already bigger stronger faster than 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 most they come up against they've got another year under their belt so you know they're going to come back again bigger stronger faster and that's always good keeping sort of offensive linemen together for another year. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on the uh, on the rest of the offense. Otherwise, I'll jump into the uh, into the defensive side of the ball. Let's do that second half. So the the Texas defense is led by very very strong unit up front, um, and it looks to be a strong sort of unit again across the board going into twenty twenty three. The interior D linemen sort of are the are the anchor of this defense, and and Tavondre Sweat. I spent ages, by the way, looking if this guy is related to Montez. And I couldn't Not at find, all. but I couldn't find anything except from one tweet, which was a dude from like two years ago asking, "Is Tavondre Sweat related to Montez Sweat?" And he had one response, which was, "I feel like I'd have known this if he was." So I'm off of basing it off of that. <laughs> I'm going to say no relation to Montez, but Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, uh, Byron Murphy the uh, second, both kind of returning, and they're going to anchor the middle. Uh, Baron Sorrell's going to be coming off the edge there and, and you kind of got a very strong three there I'm not 100% sure he's going to take kind of the other rushing spot or who's going to be sort of rotating in there I think it's going to be a, uh, potentially going to see a number of guys in that rotation but the, the defensive line unit is going to be going to be a strong one again for Texas this year they have a fantastic linebacker as well by the name of Jalen Ford um, who had an, uh, uh, I don't know how much of the Texas defense you saw last year but Jalen Ford had a fantastic breakout season last year here you go here, uh, I'll just rattle off some stats for you 119 tackles 10 tackles for lost 4 interceptions 3 forced fumbles 2 fumble recoveries That's a he had a fantastic linebacker. year yeah he came back uh, and he's playing again this year. Alongside him, you've got the senior Nickel, Jade Barron returning as well. There's a lot of experience on the defensive side of the ball. You've got two more leaders in the secondary coming back in Jaron Thompson and Ryan Watson. I, I really feel like the Longhorns are surging. And, and if you couldn't tell, I think they're going to be pretty good because I think they're going to be... I just think they have so much talent across the board. They've got a lot of guys returning. I think Steve Sarkeesian's a fantastic coach and... It's almost inexcusable for me at this point. I'm almost a, an absolutely like no excuses policy right now for Texas. Um, it, it I really think a lot no of Texas excuses. fans are probably feeling the same. Where the expectation is Big Twelve Championship or bust this year. 
and that's it. And and uh, I don't know if you picked up this stat just in in your research, but this would be their first conference title since two thousand nine, which yeah. really surprised me as well because I've seen some good Texas teams. I was like, they must have won. They who, like who's won them all these years? Surely they've well, won. Well, the last time they've been to a Big Twelve championship was two thousand nineteen, or excuse me, two thousand eighteen with Sam Ellinger, and they lost to Oklahoma in that rematch with Kyler Murray. That Oklahoma team will obviously go on to play in the playoff and Texas would end up beating Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. That was the last time Texas was really in a Big 12 championship, and this is their last chance to do so. That's it, and and I will say, though, I will caveat that their schedule is hard. They're the only top-five team that plays the rest of the top-five. Everybody else avoids one or two of them. Everybody else and it's has not got just a Big 12 schedule. They got Alabama at Alabama. That is a tough schedule. Yeah, it's a tough schedule, but I think they're fantastically talented, and they got... If Quinn Ewers plays... The good Quinn Ewers, they really, really look like an SEC team. They look like they can go and compete in the SEC. So it's going to be really interesting to see, where, to see what happens with Texas this year. And and can they win their first conference title since 09? That's, it's certainly going to be a huge talking point throughout the season. And Texas' counterpart that's joined them in the exodus of the Big 12 and into the SEC is Oklahoma. And Josh, last year, Oklahoma had a down year. New head coach Brent Venables took over, came over from Clemson, if you recall, architect of all those great defenses and national championship defenses. And everyone thought, all right, we're going to lose Lincoln Riley, but we're going to get a defensive coach. We're going to be a great defensive team. That wasn't the case. Oklahoma was 99th in scoring defense last year and 122nd in overall defense, Josh. They, they somehow got worse from Alex Grinch to Brent Venables. But it's a little bit excusable. They lost a lot of guys to the transfer portal. Some people followed Lincoln Riley to USC. Others just went out around the country to find new opportunities in losing a coach. But Oklahoma also had some help in the transfer portal. They got Dylan Gabriel in from UCF, and he had a fantastic year last year. He was second in the Big 12 in passing. Had a great year at Oklahoma. And the offense was pretty sound. Just They were so inconsistent. And really their season was marred by... That 49 nothing loss to Texas in the Red River shootout. They looked awful. And their defense also, though. You know, Dylan Gabriel got hurt. The backup came in. They still managed to beat Oklahoma State in Bedlam. And they lost their bowl game. Granted, it was a close game to a very good Florida State team. One of the hottest teams down the stretch last year. Now going into year two with Brent Venables. Some high expectations. Are we going to see that Oklahoma team that has ran the Big 12 the last feels like two, three decades. And I think they can this year. They got some key new additions. You know, if Dylan Gabriel's not going to work out, five-star Jackson Arnold can certainly be the signal caller. They brought in some O-line help in the from App State, from Miami of Ohio, and from Stanford and Transfer Portal. They did lose some talent on offense. They lost their three top receivers, including Marvin Mims, to the NFL draft. They lost their top running back who rushed over a thousand yards last year and they lost a lot of linemen, but they're playing those gaps through the portal. As so many teams do now you live and die by the portal and take a look at the offense. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of the same as you saw last year. You know, they're going to score a lot of points you know, last year. They outscored their opponents 130 to 30 in the first three games. You're going to see a lot of that again. What needs to happen though is you need Dylan Gabriel to not make so many mistakes. He can't be throwing those arrogant interceptions that he's done in the past. He did good last year, but 
you know, still want to clean up on that. You want to get the run game going. You know, Oklahoma's had so many great running backs throughout the past, I don't know, decade that have made it on the NFL, and that really opens up the passing lanes. You know, get those boxes spread out, five-man boxes, and that's why you hit them with the run, Josh. And Oklahoma was very good about very good about that last year. Jeff Halfley coming in from Ole Miss. The offense coordinator will be his second season down there in Norman. Runs a very spread-out offense that, you know, you're used to seeing in the Big 12. I want to see, though, who's going to step up and be that receiver because lost Marvin Mims, Marvin Mims to the NFL last year. You need someone to step up. Is it going to be Drake Stoops, son of Bob Stoops, a legendary Oklahoma coach? Is it going to be Andrell Anthony, who was their third leading receiver last year? Or it'll be Jaleel Farouk, who, or excuse me, Jaleel Farouk was the third leading, leading receiver. Andrell Anthony transferred in from Michigan. Let's see if he can do anything. Also, Josh, I got an all-name all name team player with Gavin Sawchuck as your right guard. Sawchuck is a great name. That sounds like a that sounds like a pass blocking technique. Yes. It's I'm excited to watch that Oklahoma front line because I think it's going to be very good and a lot of people are going to be kind of surprised with how much Oklahoma's going to run the ball. Now looking on the other side of the ball on defense. They can't get worse from last year. Like <laughs> they were bad. They were you bad really last wouldn't year. expect a Venables team to be bad on defense two years in a row as well. If that happens, then maybe he's at the wrong school. <laughs> I, maybe he's just in the wrong position. He'd have to go back to the defensive coordinator. I do not expect him to be as bad last year. And, and I'll chalk it up to you have these new guys in a new system. The Venables system is very tough. It's a lot of cover three and they're cover one, but it's a lot of blitzes and stunts and twists, and it's designed to really fool with linemen, you know, Lyman don't know where the gap's going to be coming from, who, what guy's rushing. And Venables runs that 4-2-5 defense where the, the kind of the Sam and the Will linebackers, body type's more strong safety. Thinking those uh, Isaiah Simmons, like that side's a player, that body type player. Good news for the defense. They return both their Sam and Will linebackers. They got a full off season in the defense. You're going to be looked at those as your, like, your two leaders on defense return your top two sack leaders with Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes and bring back three of your four DBs. It's going to be good. It's going to be a much better defense. I'm excited for them. Schedule is relatively favorable. You know, they do obviously have, they obviously have Texas. They have Texas Tech, who we'll get into a little bit later, but the, the schedule's there for them to really come back as that Oklahoma that we're used to. An interesting out-of-conference note, they're playing at Tulsa. It's one of those fun Power 5 playing at a group of five stadium. You don't, you don't see it that much, and I love when that happens. But I expect them to start probably you know, 3-0, going into their first Big 12 matchup against Cincinnati. This will be Cincinnati's first ever Big 12 game. Expect Nippert State to be rocking, Josh. could be rocking. Yeah, Iowa it's going to be just have a we'll look be, at the schedule now, and uh, I, I think they're going to be potentially up to the Iowa State game now. I think they could potentially be 5-0 going into that Texas game. I, I think, Josh, we might see a 5-1 Texas versus 6-0 Oklahoma, or maybe, God, a 6-0 Texas versus 6-0 Oklahoma. ESPN would melt. Five, fives. Fives. 5-0. Oh, 5-0, 5-0, right, because that'd be the sixth game. If both those teams go in undefeated, I, that's... 
Is, if, if Texas do Alabama, I, this game might not they would be, be the, that this game they might would be not the be that team. close. Yeah, this game might not be that close if <laughs> if they're that good. Yeah, but I, I don't think you know we'll get into that later. But I don't think Texas is going to beat Alabama this year. So a four and one Texas versus a very reasonable five and zero Oklahoma for That's the last bedlam in the Big Twelve, or excuse me, the last Red River shootout in the Big Twelve. Well, if Texas goes to sick. four and two after six, ooh, they would that could be. <laughs> It could be stressful for Texas. Yeah, that could, that be, could uh, be. If they're four and two coming out of the six week of the season, they're not going to be happy at all. But after that Texas game, Josh, really their hardest two opponents is back to back at Kansas and at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma has Oklahoma State's number for the last ever. Like it's the, one of the biggest lopsided rivalries in all of college football. But I love it so much because every game is just chaos. That's why I call it bedlam. And then the final game of the year, Josh, first TCU. They get them at home. Who knows? Maybe that decides the Big 12 Conference Championship game. Could be. Could be. Yeah, that's a, it's a really interesting year for, for Oklahoma because they need a bounce back. I mean, any way you look at it, 6-7 and seven is a failure for, for a Venables team and for Oklahoma. So there's, a, there's an immense amount of pressure on this season and an immense amount of pressure on some of these early games to get off to a good start. And, with some of these expansion teams that they've not played before and, and, and some kind of new opponents and some teams getting better, you know, it's it's there's a lot of hurdles for them to get over and there's a few questions still to be answered on the roster and, and I know that they're plugging some of the gaps that you said they had, but a lot of these guys are unknown quantities right now and, and you know, if two or three of them don't hit in some key positions, then suddenly it come, becomes hard to win six and seven. It becomes hard to win more than six, seven games, you know, so it's it's... It's going to be a pressure-filled pressure, pressure season for Oklahoma. They do bring in a freshman All-American linebacker from Indiana as kind of a depth player for that. Uh, I think he'll be playing the Sam position in the Venables defense. So could be could be a, a guy to watch out for. Name is uh, Sam Could be a, That could be a name to watch out for because, you know, we love Harold Perkins. I think he's that similar size build. Let's say if Harold Perkins, he was the number one uh, freshman All-American last year. He's, this guy's got to be pretty good if he was the number two freshman linebacker All-American. So, I think the defense is going to be a good spot in the linebacker part. And, you know, return your two edge rushers, your two sack leaders, that's going to help a lot. It's create pressure on defense. And you also get three out of your four DBs back. It's veteran leadership in a second year in a tough defense. But we saw, like, some of those Clemson teams, they didn't have 11 NFL dudes. They had maybe three three or four NFL dudes and the rest was just plugged in by smart disciplined players in a great defensive scheme yeah I, I really can't see them taking a step backwards on defense this year not with the amount of guys coming back I do think they're going to be better on defense I am interested by the offensive line that's kind of the big area I was kind of hinting towards because I do think that's going to be a, a, a very interesting proposition especially with a quarterback that's maybe mistake prone prone to a few interesting there uh, interesting he, he didn't throw an interception in his first three games and then the wheels kind of you know fell off the wagon their first three games they were playing who they play they played uh, i have it right here utep kent state and nebraska so not exactly uh yeah and they went into their hard games of kansas state tcu and texas and then kansas and the wheels they got humbled real quick <laughs> Start off three and zero and then finish three and six. It was well, a ridiculous okay. game last year, by fifty two forty two win for uh, for Oklahoma. It's a it's a big bounce back, but yeah, 
the next thing I wanted to jump into is a team that I'm I'm very fond of this year and, and a team that I'm I'm very excited to watch uh, on both sides of the ball for a number of reasons. Uh, and that is the Kansas Jayhawks. Now, an interesting one to kind of kick this off with is they're returning more offensive production than any team in the nation. They have 10 starters coming back. And not only do they have 10 starters coming back, almost all of the backups are coming back. This entire... That's rare offensive unit is back and it was a great offensive unit last year uh, Andy Kitelnicki the OC has done a fantastic job of building a culture uh, and, and, and a team that of players who want to be there I mean 10 guys coming back is is no small feat in itself and this is this is an offense that they've they've returned all these guys and this is an offense that averaged 438.6 yards per game and 35.6 yards uh, points per game like this is a, an offense that was very good last year. That's got another year of experience, and all of the guys are coming back. I will caveat this though: with their success this year is very reliant on one man, and that is quarterback Jalen Daniels. He's the difference between if these are going to be a potential contender or just fun to watch. Got hurt last year, missed, missed a chunk of time. I personally think he's a fantastic quarterback. I think he's very, very good. And I think he's going to be in some of the conversations uh, when it's his time. Because I, I think he's an absolutely fantastic prospect. Second team, all Big 12 last year. I think he's going to get first team Big 12 this year, potentially. I, I really think he could be the best quarterback in this division. And that's saying a lot with some of the talent in this division. Yeah, Josh, I loved watching Jalen Daniels last year. What game really like put me onto him was that TCU-Kansas game. And Kansas ultimately lost. But Jalen Daniels was like, I'm going to take TCU to the wire. And he was just throwing dime after dime back in the end zone. Guy just right over his shoulder, told you, I'm like, oh, he's he's got an arm. He's got accuracy. He get a run, too. Jalen Daniels yeah. is so fun to watch. Yeah, I'm very firmly on board the uh, the Jalen Daniels train. And, and, I mean, his Liberty Bowl performance was 544 yards, six scores. and What a Liberty. Did you watch that Liberty Bowl, Josh? It was insane. <laughs> In double overtime, oh, my God. Kansas ultimately lost, but that, that was fun. Yeah, ridiculous game. And, and I do think if Jalen Daniels is around for, for the most of this season, the Kansas Jayhawks have, have a lot of potential of being right up there. And, I mean, he can't do it all on his own. And, and luckily for him, they've got a few, as I said, I've got a few guys coming back. Uh, Thousand-yard rusher Devin Nils back. Um, and he wasn't even the starting back before uh, before he got 1,000 yards. It was actually a guy called Daniel Hishaw Jr., who um, who went down in the season and, and missed the rest of the season with a hip injury. And the hip's always a tough one for running backs. It's always one that I get just a little bit little bit worried about with a running back. And um, I really hope he gets back because I think he's going to be an exciting addition to the backfield of um, uh, with, with Devin Neal. That's um, a one-two punch right there. They've got four guys coming back on O-line. Uh, four kind of key guys and they've also recruited a former five star took him or transferred him in from uh from uh wisconsin uh, and that's five star wow. recruit logan brown came in from wisconsin um so they've gone kind of four returners plus plugging in a five star at tackle um i'm very much expecting a unit that was already decent last year to take a big step forward this year and that could be a massive difference maker especially when one of the key kind of focuses for kansas this year is keeping the quarterback healthy um, getting those four guys back, getting that kind of strong prospect in at tackle just really, really helps them. And they also transferred in, I th- want to say from Cal, but I might be wrong, Spencer Lovell, um, who has a great chance of starting at one of the guard positions this year. Um, so th- 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 there's a few guys in that in that offensive line room that 
that could be dudes for them and and it's massive for uh, for Kansas uh, the Jayhawks this year because as I said the running game's going to be good again but keeping the quarterback healthy is pivotal for them this year and that also involves Jalen Daniels being smart whenever he's running the ball making sure that he slides and get out of bounds not cause yourself unnecessary harm yeah huge part for some of these guys and some of them never learn it. Josh Allen. Uh, and <laughs> he's gotten bad. Well, but Josh Allen's also 6'6", 260. Jalen Daniels, not that size. No, no, that's fair. That's a fair point. <laughs> um, I'm going to jump into the defense now. And, um, and, and I said they scored 35.6 a game. I thought this is an interesting stat. They may have scored 35.6 per game, Tyler. But they conceded 35.6 per game as well. Exactly the same number. 124th nationally in points per game conceded. Um, they have to. They have to make improvements here. They try and employ a bend, don't break defense, but you can't bend and break. Like that's just a <laughs> fundamental. You're not going to win many football games. Um, they have got a lot of guys returning on the back end, so in secondary and linebacker, which is good. But I don't know how happy I am about a very bad unit returning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like this is a team that's really bad. A load of guys are coming back. I would expect them to hopefully improve individually to to, to an extent, but that doesn't get me that excited for the unit. Um, the biggest it's like change, the Oklahoma, though. Cool. You can't get worse, right? Well, I guess you can, but... <sighs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you ju- if you just throw something at a wall, hopefully something sticks. Is that kind of... The- <laughs> that's kind of the vibes I get from this defense. <laughs> something like that. Um... But the the D lines were the biggest changes here. So all four guys that were there last year are being being replaced now. So they've all kind of moved on, transferred out, gone gone to various places. <clears throat> so already there, and this is kind of the, a little talking point I wanted to to kind of pivot to here is I don't know who's going to take this spot. I don't know who's going to take who's going to make up the four. I don't know who's going to make up the various packages. But I'm going to run through kind of who's already there and who they've brought in. So already there, we've got Jerome Robinson who came in towards the end of last season, had a few flashes, had a few interesting plays. So I'd, just as a guy who's already there and pretty much the only guy that's still there, I'd probably expect him to get plugged in um, a fair amount just because knows the scheme has been around the coaches for a, for a couple more years. They've then got Tommy Dunn Jr. at D-Tackle, who's a solid option at D-Tackle, and they've got Gage Keys. And they've transferred in Austin Booker from Minnesota, Devin Phillips from Colorado State, and Patrick Joyner Jr. from Utah State. So they're kind of your five, six guys that I think are going to be in that rotation. I don't know specifically kind of who's going to make it up, but they're going to need some production from the D-line this year because it's, a, it's an, as I said, it's an entirely new unit. It's a secondary slash linebacking corner that wasn't great last year, so they're really going to need some help up front. And I mean, if they come in and they get three or four great guys come in, you know, they get some guys come in that really are productive on the D-line, you might see it revitalize, revitalize um, Jayhawk's defense, and, and that could again be one of the key determining factors into whether this is a serious contender or just a fun to watch team again i mean all they need to do is just average one less point on defense and then you know <laughs> they're gonna win a lot of games beat. yeah you're, you're winning more games and last year kansas going five and oh to start the year and then they went one and six to end the year so again it's that defense that you that really just let them down because the offense was putting up points it's just the defense was giving up the exact same amount of points and as Thanos says, that's a perfectly balanced six and six team. Offense has thirty five point six points per game. Defense gave up thirty five point six points per game. Perfectly balanced. <laughs> perfectly balanced as all things. The Thanos would be proud. He wouldn't be clicking his fingers. Perfect balance right. in uh, in Kansas. But if you're a coach that wants to win football games, it's probably not the perfect balance you're looking for. <laughs> no. And Lance Leipold, the head coach, has done 
an insane turnaround at Kansas. That was like the worst jo- coaching job in all of football for like the last felt like ten years. Ever since um, Eric Man- or not Eric Mangini, um, I'm blanking on his name, but the very big coach, and they replaced him with Charlie Wise, just as big, and he sucked. They replaced him with uh, Les Miles, who left with um, not such a great uh, taste in Kansas fans' mouth, and. You know, Leipold coming over from Buffalo. He's really done a great job turning them went winless their first year, two wins last or the year before that, and now six wins. And they went to a bowl game for the first time in ever, it felt like. Like the And they clearly turned the culture around because they've got it, so many guys coming back. Yeah, it, it it's exciting and it's gonna be fun to see. And Josh, their schedule is it's not easy. Let's take a look at it. You know, Missouri State that should be an easy win against an FCS team. Illinois, Illinois is kind of like Kansas last year, where you know they got turned around. They're a fun, scrappy team, but with all that production Kansas is bringing back, I like them against the Illini. Then they go at Nevada, should be an easy win. And when they open up their Big 12 play against BYU, I think that could be a win as well. I'm not seeing a tough game until that fifth game at Texas, Josh. Can we get the Jayhawks going four and zero versus maybe a three and one Texas and a four or four and zero Texas? I think we definitely can. I mean, I, that's kind of how I see Kansas this year. I'm, I'm really, really high on Kansas this year, and I think they go through Missouri State. I think they go through the Fighting Eye. I think they go through Nevada. I think they go through BYU, and I really think their first kind of big test this year is going to be at Texas. Um, I, I'm just. Uh, I really am on board this Kansas train this year, and I do think that they are going to kind of be a strong, strong contender going into there. But I just really am concerned about injuries, and I just hope that that Jaden Daniels can stay stay injury free because he just is such a key part of that whole what they do there and how they're successful. That I mean, we saw it last year, you know, when he went down, and and you say they kind of close the season out one and five, and it's just a what, one and six with loss of bowl game. And, yeah, yeah, if you count the bowl game. Um, but yeah, it's a it, it, it's a really really exciting time to be uh, to be on board the Kansas uh, train and 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 Jayhawks fans I'm sure are very very excited going into this season. Um, now, Josh, Vegas has their win total at six and a half. Going over, you going under? I'm probably gonna hammer the over. The second half of the season's harder. I think they're gonna pick up the four wins to start with. They're probably gonna lose to Texas. UCF are a bit of an unknown quantity this year. That's going to be a big game for them, just in terms of unknown because they haven't matched up before. Um, you then got Oklahoma State, tough game. Oklahoma, tough game. Iowa Iowa State aren't going to be as easy this year. Texas Tech, I think, are going to be a good team. Kansas State and Cincinnati. It's 6.5 is a good line. I'd probably take the over because I am high on them this year. And, and I think sort of the, um, the um, Kansas State-Kansas uh, game is going to be going to be a lot of fun this year the sunflower battle of sunflower sunflower showdown sunflower state showdown i can't remember the exact name of the rivalry should be one of the better ones in recent memory and i think they really tow that line at six and six seven and five it they play the four toughest teams in the big 12 that's that's rough so you figure all right if they just lose those you can't lose any more games be who you're supposed to and Play Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas State, and Texas Tech. Tough. For sure. For sure. Uh, I was just going to quickly jump on uh, special teams just because it was a bit of a pain point for them last year. And um, 
it's just a just made an interesting kind of pickup um uh, a, a special teams coordinator well i think he's technically come in as like an assistant assistant head coach one of the assistant positions and that is uh sean snyder yes son of bill snyder is uh is now coaching special teams on the uh on the kansas jayhawks and mentioned it before and we'll say it again i really am excited about the jayhawks this year and, and i put a note down that said uh i've got Jay, jayhawk fever slash bird flu <laughs> i didn't know which way to go with oh, it but i was like i've got I bird flu those. baby <laughs> let's go <laughs> now josh a team i'm very high on for this year is texas tech over there in lubbock texas and i see them the same way i'm seeing uc kansas now, last year they surprised a lot of people Joey McGuire, who came from Baylor as a as an assistant, and before that he was a high school coaching legend in Texas, in Texas, coaching for like 13 years. They went eight and five last year, and that was with a backup quarterback. And they beat both Texas and Oklahoma for the first time in well over decades, certainly longer than I've been alive. And they did it very flashy. Their offense coordinator, Zach Kitley. Oh, he is so, so much fun, Josh. He came over from Western Kentucky. He was Bailey Zappi's offense coordinator. And he turned that offense in Lubbock, he turned it right around. It's not a true air raid like we're used to seeing with Texas Tech teams. It was more run focus. But again, creating a lot of space and a lot of mismatches with tight ends on smaller nickels and creating wide open passing lanes. I'm excited for this Texas Tech offense. And... The big question, though, is who is going to be that quarterback? Is it going to be Tyler Shuck, who started the season last year, got hurt, came back in, did pretty well. If you remember Tyler Shuck, he transferred in from Oregon. He was a backup to Justin Herbert, started that COVID year, lost time to Anthony Brown, so transferred to Lubbock. And he's, he's a gunslinger. He's not very accurate. But he's got an arm, and he's a gunslinger. And I think he's a perfect fit for that style of offense. And then the rest of the offense, Josh, they returned a lot of their receivers too. They returned four of their starting receivers last year. That's, for an air raid offense, that's scary. That's scary. And Gerard, or, um, let's get his name. Yes, Gerard Bradley is the receiver that I want to focus on. Josh, he's 6'5", 215. 51 catches last year, 740 yards, six touchdowns. Gerard Brantley might be the second best receiver in the Big 12 this year behind Xavier Worthy. Like, I love a big body receiver like that. I haven't seen too much tape on him, so I'm going to be paying close attention. But that could be a dangerous, dangerous receiving threat. And they returned all their linemen from last year. That is a huge plus, especially with keeping Tyler Shuck healthy. You don't want to see him go down with another collarbone injury. Just like to Kansas, keep your quarterback healthy and your offense is going to be able to produce. Their offense was the second, the number two scoring offense in the Big 12 last year with over 44 points per game. Like they, they were fun, Josh. They were fun. What else got here in my notes? Um, oh, Zach Kitley, the offense coordinator. He started his career as a basketball coach, or excuse me, started as a basketball player, transferred to Texas Tech to become a coach was an assistant for 2015. And he was a QB assistant for a guy named Patrick Mahomes. So I think he knows what he's doing with his quarterbacks. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting for Texas Tech this year. And as you say, the receiver kind of position is is 
fascinating one there just kind of kind of outside of the obvious one who's going to be kind of that key number two who's going to really really kind of help them expand what they do on offense and Tyler I see it as Tyler Shaw how do you say you say Tyler Shuck Shuck so Shuck. I, I know this because Oregon grad and spent a lot of time you know reading those media previews and everyone thought it was show it's yeah. Shuck like you're shuck. shucking an oyster yes there's no K there it's all I don't begin the ask don't begin the ask but <laughs> It's Tyler Shuck, so now you know. Okay, I'm with you, I'm with you. I'm very interested to see kind of your thoughts on the defense because some of the stuff I've heard around Texas Tech are, especially around kind of the D-line unit, is around uh, they lost their best guy, but they might be better this year. Josh, I was just going to get into that. Yes, they lost Terry Wilson to the NFL draft, first round pick, but yeah, this defense might be better, which is kind of crazy despite losing them they returned six starters including their top two linemen and they return their five most productive tacklers from last year so it could be fun and their defensive coordinator tim deruder came over from oregon two seasons ago he has a history of developing edge guys so obviously last year tyree wilson when he was at oregon cave on thibodeau a couple years before that he was defensive coordinator at Texas A&M for Miles Garrett. He knows a thing or two about DNs. So, if you're Texas, if you're Texas Tech, I'd be very happy with what my front seven is going to pr- produce. And they're going to need that because you know, last year, they lost some close games. They lost some tough games. But that was because the defense really didn't have that, that edge. Yeah, you had Tyree Wilson, but... As teams started to key on him, he didn't have that second guy to step up and really take over the game. I'm expecting that from this year. I'm excited for them because they have a relatively easy schedule. They get three of the newcomers with BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF. They avoid... I'm going to check my schedule here. Yeah, I'm just looking at it now. They avoid Oklahoma. They don't play Oklahoma. They avoid Oklahoma. They I'm avoid, or they get Texas at the end of the year. That Texas at the end of the year is going to be a Texas Tech at Texas, November 24th. That'll be a fun game. But yeah, it is, that, it is a lighter schedule this year. Tarleton State, Houston, Baylor, Kansas West State. West Virginia. It, it's definitely a favorable schedule. One of the more marquee out-of-conference games, though, is they host Oregon. And Josh, that game's going to be high-scoring, a lot of fun, insane. And not only that, it's going to be a no-punts game because Dan Lanning hated punting last year. We saw it with Oregon. Joey McGuire hated it even more. Texas Tech led the country in fourth-down conversions or in fourth-down attempts last year. They had well over 50 fourth-down attempts, and they were still ninth in conversion. So, like, they were what we like gutsy to gamblers, but they converted. So I'm like, oh, punters don't even get on the plane, like, Hunters stay at home. I'm going to be excited for that game. And I think that'll be a great test for both Texas Tech and probably Oregon's. You know, how will those teams come out of that game? That'll be a good direction for both programs. And also, I love a revenge game of Tyler Shuck versus old team, Tim DeRuder versus old team. I'm all for it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Going to head down to Fort Worth now. Jump down to TCU and. Coming off of kind of a storybook season, you know, run at the national, run at the national. Can they get anywhere near 
kind of those heights again probably unlikely they're going under huge changes on the offensive side they kind of got 11 guys coming back sort of across the whole unit they lost their top receiver they lost their quarterback yeah they lost their top two receivers top two receivers lost their quarterback they got a great coach in Sonny Dykes and I think that kind of does have a lot of merit in college football if you have a good coach you will can't you will win some games you'll be able to out coach some sort of lesser coaching uh, coaching squad so I do think kind of Sonny Dykes Sonny Dykes there does uh does hold kind of a lot of a lot of weight um, and I do think that they'll still be somewhat of a contender in the Big 12 this year so let me dive into it. There's a few question marks kind of around TCU this year, and there's a lot of unknowns because they lost a lot of guys. And, and the first one is the quarterback, so Chandler Morris. So Chandler Morris is going to be the guy at quarterback again this year, just like he was at the beginning of last year before he got hurt. Max Duggan came in. We know kind of how that went. Morris really needs to take the next step, though, to fill. Doug, Duggan's left some uh, some sizable shoes to fill, and, and, and I do think that... that uh, Morris is going to have to play some good football in order to get anywhere near the heights that kind of Duggan managed to reach uh, last year in the in the storybook season. And the two leading rushers are gone. A few of the key linemen are gone. It wasn't the top two receivers. I've got to hear in my notes. The top three receivers are gone. So there's there's just a lot of a lot of they lost all their production. They lost all of their production, which is why there's just so many enormous question marks to me. And I think it's why I found it quite hard to kind of preview them in that. They've lost so much. What can I say other than, well, I don't really know what they're going to be because they've lost so much, but here's how they've kind of filled the holes. So they brought in uh, Alabama transfer, um, Trey Sanders, who was a former five-star recruit, to come in to kind of help fill out that running back position where they lost their two top guys. Imani Bailey and Trent Battle is already there, so that's kind of their running back room now. They also brought in another uh, receiver from uh, Alabama in Jojo Earl um, to kind of hopefully fill some of the void that Quentin Johnston's now left. Um, Savian Williams is there, 6'5". I know you love a big body receiver. He's in who had 29 catches like last Quentin year. Quentin Johnston's frame. He is almost. So he, he's probably the guy they're going to look more to kind of fill that void that, that Quentin Johnston left sort of over Jojo L. Um, but I do think Jojo L is going to have an interesting role in this uh, in this TCU offense. Um, what else have I got here in my notes? Um, Jared Wiley, what he had... Yeah, he had 24, 24 catches last year, which is more catches than he had in his last three years at Texas. So he'll probably be playing a much bigger role going into his fourth year in college now. Um, JP Richardson, kind of a new slot receiver in there. There's just so many enormous questions, so many new players, so much to try and blend in on that offensive side of the ball in not that much time that it's... It's a really hard thing to try and quantify what you think TCU are going to be, and um, and and I, and I did notice that kind of the TCU kind of work going into this preview was definitely kind of the hardest team to try and come up with a. What do you think they're going to be this year? Because I just really don't know. I really don't know. It, it's it is tough because last year they were the national runners up, but you lost your entire team, and I think everyone will expect that step back because. It, naturally it will it's just statistically not probable that TCU goes 12-0 and 0 again and it's I think it's going to be one of those 2011 Auburns where they won the national championship and then they went 7-6 the year after I think that's what it's going to look like because a couple of the games last year they squeaked by by the skin of their teeth especially that Baylor game end of the season that really stuck out in my mind where you win off 
great play from Max Duggan, but he's not there. So you're not going to have that clutch, that it factor, and you're going to expect them to drop probably a lot of these games. They open the season against Colorado, which is going to be quite the media circus just because of every storyline there on and off the field now, which we'll get into that later if, when we're previewing our, our favorite games. But yeah, Josh, TCU is just so, so tough. I Defense has some returners, but that offense is just going to be who knows. And Slane Dykes does run that very favorable air raid scheme where you kind of plug a player in and it's not too hard to run it, but they also lost their top offensive coordinator. They lost him to Clemson. That's that also is tough. Yeah, and the O lines lost some guys, and uh, and you just started to kind of hint it as well. But the defense is an interesting side of the ball um, down in Fort Worth because I got a question for you. They went thirteen and two last year. They went to the national. Where do you think their defense ranked nationally? I think their defense probably ranked. In the 70s. 95 in total defense is oh. where they ranked. So they were almost out of the top 100 despite going to the Natty and being 13-2. and two. Um, And they've lost some key guys, especially in the secondary. Um, they're, they're, they're made up, especially at linebacker now, they're made up quite strongly of freshmen, redshirt freshmen. So they got uh, All-American, Demonic Williams, redshirt freshman uh, Paul uh, Oyewale uh, up front. So they got... <laughs> they got a couple of kind of red shirt guys or, or a couple of freshmen that they're going to need to come in and get some early production from. They're going to be relying on a couple of the returners. So they've got Mark Perry returning in the secondary despite losing a few guys. They need someone to show up on the D-line this year. They need a pass rusher to show up. If, if there's a TCU D-lineman, if you're listening, make it you because your team seriously needs some help because they've lost 60% of their sacks from last year. So Dylan Horton gone, D Winter's gone, and that was nearly sixty percent of their total sacks. So they're they've got a lot of unknowns on offense. They've got a lot of unknowns on defense. TCU's logo for me this year is just it's TCU with a big question mark next to it because I've got so many question marks about what they are as a team. I don't really know what their team identity is going to be this year. Just across the board, I think there's so many guys gone. It's hard to. As a coaching staff, it's really hard to, if you've got a really good culture, it's really hard to maintain a culture through an enormous shift of players because the players at the end of the day are what holds that culture and they're the guys who are, you know, living the culture every day. And when there's an enormous shift like that, it's, and I'm not saying the culture is going to be bad, it's, you just have to foster that with the new core of players. It takes, it does take a little bit of time and you can plug and play guys in this scheme, but sort of just playing in a scheme is one thing, being, you know, being a team and actually kind of, having that side of things which is what inspired them to go to the championship is is a different is, is a different kind of different kettle of fish altogether and there's just so many question marks for me that I can't ignore for TCU that I mean it's hard to predict what they're going to be I think it's pretty obvious they're going to take some form of a step back how big that step back is remains to be seen but yeah not so, too sure about what TCU are so rather than the hypnotoads this year, they're the question mark toads. Yeah, yeah, that works. That works. I wonder if Simpsons predicted this one. <laughs> well, so I'm not sure if you're a fan of Futurama, but their new season, they just came back after a like a 10-year hiatus, 9-year hiatus, and they do reference the hypnotoad in the first episode. There's a scene I'm you could probably find it on Twitter of Fry scrolling through cable, and if you pause it, it says the 
TCU Hypnotoads versus, I think, the Georgia Bullfrogs in a championship game. Like, all right, that's good. That's a great callback from yeah, the writers of Futurama. But, yeah, I think Question Toads is probably the best way to describe them this year. The Question Toads. Yeah, it works for me. <laughs> oh, all right. Going from the Big 12 regular season champ to another team in purple, the Big 12 actual champ that won, that beat TCU, Kansas State. We're going over to the Little Apple in Manhattan, Kansas, Josh. This is a, um, I feel like everyone's counting them out this year, which is weird because they're the defending Big 12 champions and they're the fifth team that we're going to be talking about. Like, Chris Kleiman is such a good coach. He came over from North Dakota State where he won, I believe it was four of those championships for the Bison. And he's brought that winning culture back to Kansas State that Bill Snyder left behind. Last year, they went 10-3 and with their two losses being to Tulane, who won the Sugar Bowl, to TCU in the regular season, who they then beat to end the season, and then to Kansas, to Texas. They lost by seven to Texas. So 10-3, and they do lose Deuce Vaughn. That's going to be a tough running back to replace, but they return their quarterback. They're returning um, Will Howard, who was just an absolute warrior. He really willed them to victory in that TCU championship game. He's got a howitzer for an arm. Yeah, you lose Adrian Martinez, but Adrian Martinez wasn't the guy that really carried you down the stretch. And what I love about Kansas State is, Josh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, you hear a motorcycle coming down my street, but Josh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the name of Colin Klein. He was the quarterback at Kansas State from like 2010 to 2012. Tried it out for the NFL, didn't really do much. He's going into his second season as the offensive coordinator for the Wildcats. And he is like the older brother of Will Howard. Like they are the exact same person, the exact same player. Just like the term gritty gets thrown around a lot, but he's just like a gritty quarterback and having a gritty offense corner is like such a great mesh and combinations of an offensive style. It is tough though to see Deuce Vaughn go to the NFL because he was the heart and soul of your offense, and you're having to return that production. He rushed for, I think it was well over 1,500 yards and had well over 2,000 all-purpose yards last year. He's looked pretty good in some of the, the clips coming out of uh, of um, training camp. He's very early, and they're not tackling, but it he's is, looked pretty good. It is, and I am a big Deuce Vaughn fan, and I, I don't think that he's going to be running between the tackles on Sundays. He's going to be just like Darren Sproles, where you kind of swing it out to him or check it down on a screen because... <laughs> you yeah, just grab absolutely. one arm, you'll yank him. Yeah, he's five six. Like that's there was, one. There was a clip going around where he weaved through like the whole defense and ran through the end zone. And I was like, I mean, that was like a five yard loss. Like he got tackled in the backfield. <laughs> like if the guy got one hand on him, it was a loss. Like let's not be doing this this early. <laughs> yeah, and but hey, I'm a, I'm a Deuce Vaughn believer. Love him, but they do return DJ Giddens, who rushed for 500 yards last year. That you know it's going to be good because it's a run first offense. You're going to need that guy that has experience. He's got fresh legs. We'll see how the rushing attack for the Wildcats is. They do bring in Treshawn Ward from Florida State as well, who transferred there. He didn't play too much last year. Maybe he can emerge as the number one rushing guy. They also lost their top two receivers from last year and tight end. But they returned Phillip Brooks, who people are saying might be the best tight end in the Big 12 and maybe a low-key um top three draft or top three tight end draft pick like could 
could be good. It could be good. And then going on to the defensive side, they do lose a lot of production on the defense with Felix Uzma, who was great, great defensive lineman there, good pass rusher. They do return five starters, so it's not a whole lot of returning production there. It will be the weaker part of the team. Their leading tackler is back from last year, and their two pass rushers, but other than that, they don't really have much on the secondary end. Kobe Savage, who, again, an all-name team right there, Kobe Savage Jr., looks to be that anchor in the back end on that safety side, but the defense is going to be kind of the, the question mark for Kansas State this year. I would expect them to be, you know, tough and disciplined on defense, but I don't think it's going to be one of those defenses that's going to win you a ball game. They're just going to try to keep you into a ball game. And they don't have a very favorable schedule, Josh. They have at Missouri for their non-conference game. They're playing at Texas Tech. They're playing at Texas. They're playing at Kansas. They're playing at Oklahoma State. Those are, and Oklahoma State's also coming off a bye week that week. Those are some tough road games right there. And I see why people are counting out the defending Big 12 champion because I do expect Kansas State to maybe take a step back this year. I still think they're going to float in that 7-8 to eight win range, but I, I don't see how they're better than Texas, Oklahoma, Texas Tech. Kansas. T Kansas. Uh, I think that Kansas game will be fun because if Kansas State can drag them down in the mud with them, I think it gives Kansas State <laughs> a chance. But on paper right now, Kansas is – probably win that game 63 to 14 <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so funny you're like they just as soon as you said if we could just drag them down i was like from a football sicko just like me i was like if that if they if that game can suffer in some way for <laughs> for one yeah. or, one or both of the teams then it's a win for all of us <laughs> oh exactly <laughs> definitely yeah, that's that's all i got for uh kansas state it's 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 going to be a regression for the Wildcats. Yeah, I think that's a fairly safe prediction. Just I think there's a lot of other teams that have improved a lot around them, um, and don't really see them kind of going back to the back to the championship this year. Down to Waco, 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 down to Waco, Waco, Waco uh, now, and uh, onto the Baylor Bears. So you're gonna get some angry evangelicals at you, Josh. Come on, the Baptists are. <laughs> Fuming. That's my bad. Um, yeah, going, going down to Baylor now and, and, and looking at a team that had a very interesting sort of previous year, a very kind of out of character year, especially for a Dave Aranda team. Um, it just didn't look like like a Dave Aranda team, to be honest. Uh, guys didn't look like they were playing that hard. There was just a, a weird vibe around around the, um, around the Bears last year. And I, I can't really see that being the case again this year I just don't think Dave Aranda's that sort of coach I don't think he's ever shown that he's been that sort of coach I feel like if there's kind of been any kind of bad bad vibes around that team he's going to kind of sniff them out and get them gone pretty fast and, and and they addressed kind of the major the major issue which was the defensive side of the ball and, and I'm going to jump into the defense first just because it was the major issue and They've actually appointed a coach that you all know quite well, Ty, and it was the co-DC at Oregon. They've uh, they've they've introduced Matt Powledge to the to the team to come in and kind of try help right a ship that was really really bad last year. I mean, they 
if you look at every single defensive metric, they were down in it. Any any stat you can measure on defense, they were down in it last year. They just weren't anywhere near as good as the Baylor teams we've seen in the past. They've lost a couple of key guys as well, you know, going into this year. Siaki Ika was just one of my favorite guys in the draft last year and was just an absolute anchor on that Baylor D-line for for a number of years. But it's, it's going to be interesting for Baylor this year because, as I say, they've lost some guys. They've brought in a new, a, a new DC who's made a firm commitment to come in and play some aggressive press man. But this is a defense that's lost a lot of guys in the secondary. They're relying on a very, very young unit in the secondary across, kind of almost across the board in the secondary, every position. So, you know, it's a playing press, committing to playing press man is one thing. Actually, playing press man is another thing. And if you've got a bunch of corners that are not that good, it's a quick way to get them exposed. But it's also a quick way to, you know, kind of help your D line out. You can. It's kind of the way the Seahawks have been drafting in terms of. You can you you don't need to address the D line that much if you keep investing in the secondary. If you have good pass coverage, that's going to help your D line and get home because you're locking pass options down for longer. And locking down pass options is kind of a, a very very big part of college football now. Um, but yeah, it's the defensive side has kind of slightly been addressed. I feel like the general vibe around Baylor has been addressed. Um, just just from what I know of Dave Aranda, it feels like that's kind of the sort of thing that he would sniff out very fast. And I think a lot of the strangeness around Baylor will kind of be gone from last year and I think that they will kind of start to make some make some steps in the right direction and I think that that starts starts firstly with the defense but then kind of immediately jumping straight into the offense it goes to the quarterback position and to Blake Shapen and I really really am a believer in Blake Shapen I think he's I think he has the potential of being a being the answer for Baylor in terms of making them kind of a lot more competitive again he had a few few kind of very interesting very interesting games last year found himself in another spring battle this year I think he's had a spring battle every single year he's been in college football um, this this year was with, uh, with Sawyer Robertson who he's beat out in camp um, and has been named as the starter so he kind of retains the keys to the offence and I mean that's kind of shown that he's kind of got the kind of, has he won every camp battle he's had now he's it shows that he's kind of got some level of some level of something in there that coaches are liking. But I'm also a little concerned that he has to go into a camp battle every off season. <laughs> exactly, right. That's the that's the other concern and and, and consistency is a big issue for Shapen and, and and Baylor ran the ball really, really badly last year and that meant the team had to lean on Shapen more and, and as a result kind of his numbers suffered. Um I think he ended with 2,800 yards, just shy of 2,800 yards, 18 scores, 10 interceptions. But some of his good snaps give me great optimism and, and, and that's often what I'm looking for in some of these younger quarterbacks. You know, is if you show me kind of three or four really, really impressive snaps where you go through kind of two, three reads and you get the ball there on time and they're the ones that make you say, hey, look, if I can coach that, then that's there on a more, if that's there on 70% of snaps or 75% of snaps, you're going to be in a very, very good position as an offense and I have faith in there. I have faith in there, and I feel like it's because I'm a little bit of a homer and have a soft spot for Baylor. But I do have some faith in there. Uh, that, that being said, I do think he has to show a level of consistency for, a, of, especially through the first few weeks of the season. I don't think he will be the starter up post week six, week seven if he's if he's doesn't look doesn't look sort of consistent at all. So. He's going to have to show a level of consistency. Did as I say, I like some of the stuff he showed last year. The Kansas State game was was real ugly, so there was some shit in there. There was some solid stuff in there, and I think he could could, could potentially be the answer for Baylor this year. Not 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 to make them a contender, but to make them 
a lot more serviceable than they were last year. Yeah, and I expect Baylor to also have that bounce back year, see them at not the top of the Big 12 like they were two years ago, but at least maybe in that eight, nine win range again because they they won the Big 12 two years ago, and then they had that regression because they lost a lot of production on offense and defense. You know, Dave Rand is such a good coach. He's a smart coach. Doesn't make a, doesn't make his teams do a whole lot of mistakes, or his teams don't commit a whole lot of mistakes. Discipline well. They have a favorable schedule this year as well. I, Josh, I'm with you. I think that they're going to be kind of the bounce-back team that we see in the Big 12. Yeah, and I hope they are, and, and, and one of the guys that's going to kind of help hopefully springboard them and kind of hopefully help revitalize some of the run game was their uh, freshman running back last year, uh, Richard Reese. Or Richard Reese? Reese? I'm not sure. I think, I think yeah. it's Reese. Richard Reese. Richard Reese. Go with Reese. Been spent so long looking at Brian Breesy, and I'm like, Reesey, Breesey, <laughs> this looks like <laughs> getting thrown out. But yeah, Richard Reese, uh, All American last year, um, and set a record for, for Baylor freshman with yards of 972 yards. He had 14 scores as well, which is, a, which is just absurd. an obscene number, isn't it? Um, and then Dominic, uh, Dominic Richardson transfers in from Oklahoma State, which just adds a new option to the backfield. So they're, they're, they've, as I say, they've addressed the backfield, they know they've got some talent there. O line is where they really need to kind of start to make some improvements um they've got three six-year seniors and a four-year starter have gone so they're completely out it's a total rebuild on o-line they've brought in the that, two barrington brothers from byu and snaps that you miss veteran leadership snaps so that's six that three six-year seniors and, and a four-year starter a left tackle on the o-line gone so they've really, really got to rebuild that unit. And, and they, as I said, they transferred in both of the Barrington brothers from BYU. Clark and Campbell Barrington have come in. Um, it's just, again, as with TCU, it's a lot of new guys in a room. It just gives you a lot of question marks until you've seen some snaps. It's impossible to kind of almost formulate an opinion on, on, on what that's going to be as a unit and kind of until you see that. So that's going to be a big big talking point for for Baylor in in kind of in through spring training and through kind of camps and going into the season now we're, we're not that far from the season now matter of matter of weeks from the season at this point wide receivers an interesting one for Baylor month. as well less than a month let's go new football but um wide receivers an interesting one for Baylor uh, they transferred in Ketron, Ketron Jackson Jr um so it's, it's a very very young core of receivers they've got three of their top four back as I said, they've added Ketra and Jackson Jr. just to kind of round out that spot. Uh, Monterey Baldwin, Josh Cameron and Hal Presley are the three guys that are kind of returning. So it's a it's a very young unit that's got another year of experience under their belt. So hopefully starts to make some strides this year. A bit stronger quarterback or more consistent quarterback play will hopefully help that. And I mean, that's kind of where Baylor have to be heading. They have to be looking for that more consistent kind of play and... You know they play. I don't know if you. I don't know if you clocked this when you was looking at their schedule. But they play eight of their games at home this year. That's a favorable <laughs> schedule, and that's a that, it's that's a record rare. For yeah, it's a that record is for rare. Um, but we'll see. They've got that should hopefully help. I don't know how much it help, but that should hopefully help a team that has huge holes on the O line, big holes in the secondary, young receiving core. We'll see what happens in 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 Baylor, but I I do think that they're going to be in a strong position than they were last year. I don't think they're going to be a Big 12 title contender, but as you say, I don't think there's any reason why they, they can't be threatening that 8-9 win range. Josh, I looked at their schedule. They don't play a road game until week five <laughs> when they play at UCF. Yeah, That's, that's insane. That the first four home games. First four home games. Now for another team that's 
hoping to make a bounce back in the Big 12. And the team that Baylor did beat in the Big 12 championship two years ago, Oklahoma State, Josh, last year, they started off red hot, 5-0. and They climbed to number seven in the polls. And then it all fell apart once they lost to TCU in overtime. They beat a good Texas team, but then they got blown out by Kansas forty or Kansas State, excuse me, forty-eight nothing, and then they lost Bedlam. It the season just fell apart halfway through, and they lose their top quarterback Spencer Sanders from last year. He's gone to Ole Miss. It's gonna be a weird time in Stillwater because it's one of those teams that we don't know what they're gonna look like. They finished last year just bad, and they lost a lot of production. So, who are they? They lost their top running back. They lost four other five starting receivers. Like, Mike Gundy might not have a good offense for the first time in a very, very long time. It's going to be interesting. They bring in grad transfer Alan Bowman, who came from Michigan. Before that, was at Texas Tech. I swear Alan Bowman's been in the or been in college football the last seven, eight years. I, he's got to be at least 24. It's He's the expected Stetson starter, but... <laughs> yeah. It, Stet, I think him and Stetson Bennett were the first two college football players, and they've just been around ever since. <laughs> <laughs> but he's the expected starter. Redshirt freshman from last year, Garrett Rangel. He played three games last year. He was serviceable, but I think he's more of the backup. And then Kale Gundy, the son of Mike Gundy, played one game, and he was just awful. I, if he's starting, then... Either it's, it's supreme nepotism or their season just fell apart by the wayside. On the defensive side of the ball, though, Josh, they also lose production. And that's what's going to be tough. You know, two years ago, they lost some six key starters and they also lost Jim Knowles. But the defense last year held its own, started off hot. And then when you gave up 48 nothing to Kansas State, that's like, oh, yeah, defense is falling apart. Well, this year. They lose they didn't six score starters. a point in that game, by the way. Didn't score a point. Didn't, and they were a top ten team, and you didn't get, and you didn't score a point. That's embarrassing. But they also lose their defense coordinator from last year. They lose six more starters. Like this defense is also reloading. It's. I, I just have so many questions about Oklahoma State because I don't know who they're going to be. Their new defense coordinator. I love this coming up from Division Three College, Gannon University. So you're you're trusting a division three coach is gonna help lead your defense? Like Ooh. That's that's tough. It's a lot of faith. Putting a lot of faith and in a guy. They do have a lot of transfers in, and while I say they're a young team, they're not in reality, it's a ton of fifth year, sixth year, fourth year players, but like this is their first time playing, or they're on their second or third college. Like it's an inexperienced young unit that's older and they don't have a favorable schedule josh no they i'm looking at they it do, now yeah they avoid texas and tcu so that's good but they play k-state kansas oklahoma and byu like yeah but you get them at home i know they'll get up for that oklahoma game because that might be the last bedlam game we see for a while other than that i i'm nervous for oklahoma state i do see that they play arizona state early in the season as well that could be a fun high scoring game in the desert because you know Mike Gundy will always put up points. His offense might suck this year, but he's gonna put up points. Other than that, Josh, like the Pokes, I don't know. It, it's gonna be tough for them this year. 
yeah, another team with a long list of questions, and 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 I think that's a theme kind of in pretty much in every single kind of team, probably below Texas, maybe below Oklahoma. There's just so many questions kind of for 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 a lot of these kind of teams in in this section of the league, and there, yeah, I, I mean Oklahoma, Oklahoma State are no different. Going to move on to the first of the newcomers now. Uh, the next team on my list is UCF. It's a new era for UCF. It's a new era for the Knights. They moved to the Big Twelve after, a, I'd say, a pretty successful stint in the uh, in the American Conference. Uh, Very eighteen and nine, eighteen and nine record um, in the last two years under Gus Malzahn, and uh, they're trending in the right direction. They're they're looking like a looking like a solid team. They've they've been making some some good decisions. The quarterback is um, is is a very solid star, and John Reese Plumley, um, dynamic quarterback, and. It's useful to kind of have a guy like that return, especially when you're moving conference. It's never easy to move conference. It's never easy to go up against a load of new teams you've not played before, new schemes, new guys to scout, all that kind of stuff. We'll get into the team. I'll get into the kind of the offense and defense a little bit more later, but that's going to be very useful having a having the quarterback kind of come with you through that transition. Um, Addison Williams is kind of the big big kind of coaching change there. He's been promoted to defensive coordinator after Travis Williams left for Arkansas. Um, and there's, I think they said they got six guys remaining now on the, oh, six guys um, returning on the defense. So hopefully, kind of uh, Addison Williams can kind of help help lead that team and, and and lead that lead that defense. But jumping to the offense now, and Darren Darren Hinshaw comes in as the offensive coordinator. Uh, the passing game with the Knights has been a little bit lacking the last couple of years, so he comes in to kind of hopefully help reinvigorate that. And he'll be working with uh, with with um, John Reese Plumley. And Darren Hinshaw's kind of a, a, a fairly notable uh, quarterback developer. He's known for kind of developing quarterbacks and, and and kind of upping the level of quarterbacks, which is a good sign for John Reese Plumley because because I do think he was a, a decent prospect last year. He did lead the team in rushing, which is always a concern for me when the quarterback leads the team in rushing. But uh, led the team in rushing, had a little bit of an up and down year throwing the ball, um, and, and kind of with a final stat line of twenty five eighty six. Uh, yards, fourteen touchdowns, eight picks. So, a lot of room there to kind of improve and and, and working kind of with a with a quarterback developing kind of coach is gonna gonna help them there. And uh, uh, and I will mention it again, but I do think having kind of your quarterback come with you through this transition period to a new conference is is a very big plus. And Josh, I don't know if you know this, John Reese Plumley, he's a true sport athlete. Plays baseball also. Uh, didn't know he was a baseball player. Didn't know he was yeah. a baseball player. But that explains and a the fairly arm. decent one out that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, explains the arm because he doesn't. There was a video of. from their spring. They had a baseball game like in the afternoon where he, I think he's outfielder went probably like three for four, you know, two for three. Hops in a golf cart, then goes to the play in the spring game. Like the ultimate Bo Jackson vibes, Deion Sanders vibes. Like, she's what athlete. I love it. Yeah, it's cool. That is cool. I'll be absolutely exhausted. There'd be no chance I'll be, <laughs> I'll be making it to that second game. Yeah, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone um, when I say kind of the the strength of the of the offense will be the run game. Um, R.J. Harvey's coming off a breakout season, seven hundred ninety six yards. Johnny Richardson, speedy running back, comes in. Five star recruit uh, Demarcus Bowman comes in. So they're kind of stacked uh, stacked in the back uh, in the backfield, and, and I think that's going to kind of be be the strength and it's kind of fitting bringing a bringing a very strong rushing attack to the uh to the big 12 i feel like that's a that's almost an entry requirement that's a you have to sign that you are gonna develop a strong rushing attack if you're going to be part of this conference um receiver position javon baker kobe hudson kind of headline the receiver core 
Um, Baker caught uh, 56 passes kind of in his first year there, transferred in from Alabama and uh, caught 56 passes for... He led the team last year actually with 796 yards, which kind of show, goes to show that they didn't have the greatest year throwing the ball when kind of the leading receiver was at, was at 796. Um, but we, we, we'll see what happens there. We'll see if the pass game does develop. I know that's kind of been the, a focus of the offseason, bringing in a, a more pass-focused uh, offensive coordinator. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, on the offensive line, fifth-year senior guard. He's the leader of the O-line, so that's Lakahi. I'm going to butcher this surname. Lakahi Paule. Uh, he's the leader of the O-line there. Um, they transferred in Amari Knight from Bama, transferred in uh, Marcellus Marshall from Kent State, Drake Metcalf from Stanford, just to kind of help plug some holes along that line, add a little bit of depth to that line. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens with the offense there. I think they are going to be a strong rushing attack again. I don't think that's a secret. The pass game kind of remains to be seen, but is has been a big focus kind of in this offseason. So we'll see what happens with the Knights, and, and, and I do think they're going to be going to be competitive on offense this year. So turning over to the defensive side, and already mentioned it now that uh, the Addison Williams has taken over as the um, I think his actual title is the co DC, um, but he's coming in to kind of help help strengthen this unit and the kind of the leading force of this unit is going to be the D line up front. Um, defensive tackle Ricky Barber, senior defensive tackle, very very solid prospect. Um, Josh Selescar, Traymon Morris Brash, at, uh, both the DNs, two pretty all conference names, maybe second team. Um, uh, uh, are in there um, and, and that's the returning sack leader and the TFL leader so Josh Shellescar 6 sacks uh, Tremont Morris Brash 13 tackles for loss so they're getting some of their big hitters back on defence which is very useful um, the back 7 is where the questions start in defence and this is kind of why new DC has been brought in to kind of help strengthen this this area of the defence specifically they got one proven linebacker returning in Jason Johnson. He had 126 tackles last year. But outside of that, no one returning. The group at cornerback, I don't really know who's going to be in the group. Here's a few names I've got for you. So Corey Thornton, Brandon Adams, likely to be in there. The Clemson transfer is coming in this year. is probably going to be the number one guy, though. It's Fred Davis. Jaira Wilson, the Jordan Mask. I could keep rattling names off now of the secondary. I just don't know who's going to make up that, that back seven for for the Knights and I do think that's kind of where their issues are going to stem from this year um, it's going to be tough coming into this conference they've got some tough games to play they've got some tough teams to match up against I do think that they are not going to be a walkover by any stretch I think that they are going to be playing teams close I think they are going to be fighting teams but I don't know I'm not overly sold on them this year not overly sold I think they're going to be a nuisance but I'm just not overly sold on them this year and I kind of want to talk more about the culture of UCF and just kind of their rise. I think it's we don't appreciate enough how a team went from Conference USA back in 2013 to now they're in the Big 12 in 2023. Like they really rose through the ranks of winning and winning well. And I think that kind of started back in you know 2011, 2012, 2013 when they had Blake Bortles and. They've kind of grown. Then when they had, um, oh shoot, the player that broke his leg that I loved, um, it'll come to me in a minute. But when they had their undefeated championship year and they beat uh, LSU in that bowl game, or they beat Auburn in the bowl game, the Sugar Bowl to you know go undefeated, and then they went to another uh, New Year's Six bowl and they lost to LSU, but 
That was a Joe Burrow LSU team that went on to win a national championship the next year. Like, it's not spoken of like how insane UCF has just risen the risen the ranks and like have won at a very high scale. Josh, I think like you might not be high on them. I think UCF might be storming through the Big Twelve and like be a wake up call for a lot of teams. You hold them this year. I, I am high on them because I think Gus Malzahn is a very good coach. I don't think Auburn should have yeah, ever fired no, he him. No. He, he's a great yeah. coach, and you know John Reese Plumley's a very serviceable quarterback can run and throw they have a great running back like i when you're saying that <laughs> they have eight guys that can play corner like that scares me a little bit because you don't really know who's going to be on that back end and as we know in the big 12 you have to be able to defend against the pass or a lot of teams just choose not to but if you want to <laughs> win you have to defend against the pass yeah for sure so it's the f- i find it quite fitting for them to be kind of the first of the transfer teams because I do think that they're going to be kind of the, the major player of the new guys but still remains to be seen kind of what level that's going to be at yet and and I'm quite I think the fact that we're kind of a little bit split on them kind of shows that we they're just a bit of an unknown quantity right now <laughs> they might suck they might be great but let's see yeah and you know for the other big team that has joined the conference Cincinnati they're coming in in a tough position because you know if they came in with Luke Fickle you're like all right it's a Cincinnati team that was in the playoff a couple years ago they're winning power five games or beating Notre Dame's they're taking it to SEC teams and then Luke Fickle leaves and now you're like oh everything that was built up at Cincinnati is what is it Scott Satterfield's coming in from Louisville which is Josh, Louisville and Cincinnati are huge rivals. Like, this is an insane coach coming over. Like, that, that wild. Absolutely wild. But Cincinnati is going to be not good. Emory Jones trans- transfers in from Arizona State, where he originally came from Florida. He's on his third school now. Like, he's hoping to finally figure it out. I'm worried for the Bearcats because while they're a good team, I think people are going to be living off of the name of Cincinnati from the last couple of years that they went on a great three, four year run of multiple 10 win seasons. Now you're going to be like, Oh, this is going to be a exposed team. And they lost pretty much all their offensive weapons from the last two seasons that made them so good. Losing a lot of defensive production and just the recruiting hasn't been there on the level that UCF has been able to pull no significant transfers have popped out for Cincinnati. Like it's the exact opposite of UCF to me where two great programs have done so well and come in and try to make a splash. But I think UCF is going to be the better of the two. Like they're more ready just because they're coming in with stability. They're coming in with, like you just, like you mentioned, a known, known assets with your quarterback and your coach versus Cincinnati. They're coming in with, more unknowns than we've already discussed with other teams. Like it, it's rough. I see here, Josh. They have two returning stars from last year, and one of, one of them's the center. Like it's it's gonna be a really so bad look for. <laughs> it's gonna be bad look for the Bearcats, and I. Yeah, it's tough. That's I don't tough. want to say they're gonna be the worst team in the Big Twelve, but because they they're ain't. gonna be competing There's one with worse. <laughs> They're, they're going to be competing with them as like potentially the worst team in the Big 12. Yeah. No, I, th- I, I I can only echo your thoughts there. 
the the offense is just completely restructured, completely rebuilt. I couldn't even begin to kind of start to guess at what what that's going to look like. Um, I can well, I can I can give you a hint. I don't think it's going to be good. No, it's not. <laughs> we'll um we'll see we'll see. I do think there's going to be one team that's going to be trying to beat them to the 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 worst team in the Big Twelve this year. But beat them we'll to the bottom. To we'll get to them. Is that kind of all you had on a. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's kind of all I had for Cincinnati. Is it's gonna be, it's it's they're gonna suck. I, I'm just gonna be blunt about it. They're gonna suck. It's, yeah. it's going going unknowns. into a new conference with all these like new things. It will set them up for success maybe down the road in you know two or three years that they can. But this is find gonna a be footing. a tough year for them. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. Yeah, I'm going on to another transfer team now. So BYU. And um, again, it's kind of kind of echoed these kind of thoughts for the last transfer teams, but it's a new era, new era for BYU. They joined the Big 12. 12 years of FBS independence they had, as I've been out, out of the conference for 12 years. And then they're not going to have an easy transition either. Um, they're, they're really not. Um, they, go, they go on the road to Kansas. They go on the road to TCU. They go on the road to Texas. They go on the road to Oklahoma State. They host Oklahoma. They've got to play Cincy. They've got to play Texas Tech. It's it's a not a friendly schedule for BYU and and, and the schedulers have done them no favors uh, in their first year in the Big Twelve. Um, they've got some talent. They do have some firepower, especially at the skill positions. I do like some of their skill position players, but I, is it going to be enough to overcome this schedule of death? The, uh, the 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 football gods have so kindly blessed BYU with this year. The Mormon football gods. The Mormon football gods, yeah, that's a better, that's a better one. Yeah, the Mormon football gods have, have blessed BYU with a with a conference from or with a, with a schedule from hell this year. Um, but you know, Josh, I don't think it's gonna be that tough for them because they already played a very heavy Power Five schedule. Like last year, they played Oregon, they played Baylor, they played Notre Dame. I think they played Arkansas, they played Liberty, they played Stanford. Like they were playing Power Five caliber teams and. They were winning some of those games. They beat Baylor last year. They did lose to Oregon and Notre Dame and Arkansas, but they beat Stanford. Everybody beat Stanford last year. I, I think they might shock people. I think I have them as like my, maybe my number two challenger of the this newcomer group. Mm-hmm. I think they're just slightly behind UCF because they do lose a little bit more production. They lose Puka Nakua, who is their top receiver. They lose Jaron Hall, their top uh, quarterback from last year, who is very dynamic. Kept them in tons of games it, it will be tough they do have you know one of the top offensive linemen prospects and oh, i'm gonna butcher it. he was a five-star transfer from oregon he is like six seven he's a mountain of a human it's i'm, I'm gonna try to pronounce it right now it's kingsley samulat uh, this is gonna be tough kingsley kingsley sumamataya think i got that right i'll have to find an audio pronunciation guide he's going to anchor that o-line josh yeah and uh, and i'll dive into some of some of the some of the positionals kind of for, for byu and and, and I, I will echo your kind of thoughts i do think the offense is going to be pretty strong again um you say kind of they lost their lost their signal caller but they did transfer in keaton slovis probably oh my god oh you believe that byu oh oh keaton slovis is a byu they transferred keaton slovis in and they also transferred in aiden robbins the usc running uh, the um, unlv running back uh, Louisville running back, so they they, they kind of okay. re- reloaded reloaded at quarterback, reloaded at, reloaded at running back, and 
offense kind of isn't normally BYU's problem. I don't think it will be their problem again. You did kind of hear that that, that Puka Nakua's gone, uh, Jaron Hall's gone, Christopher Brooks has gone, Blake Freeland's also gone, and and they're kind of the four four of the leaders from a unit that averaged sort of close to thirty two points per game last year. They're they're all gone. There's a lot of inexperience filling that place in. But Slovis big off season acquisition, Robbins big off season acquisition. Uh, they brought in Paul Mate, uh, Paul Miley from his, um, Missouri State. Ian Fitzgerald's also in. They've, they've got they've got a few guys. They just got a lot of inexperience mixed with some decent experience. It's going to be an interesting one. The defense is kind of where where the questions are for me with BYU, and I, th- I do think you hit the nail on the head when you said they're probably my second team of the newcomers. But I, I, that doesn't really have them finishing that high for me. I do think they can kind of push their. Let me just pull their. Um, their schedule up right now. What does their schedule look like? So let me go through this. So they open up at Sam Houston, Southern Utah, Arkansas, then Kansas. So, I mean, they could be coming into that Kansas team, 2-1, and one, potentially 3-0, and oh, you know, going into that Kansas game. And then then the gauntlet starts to begin. So they'll go at Kansas, Cincinnati, at TCU, Texas Tech, at Texas. It's going to be a very, 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 very competitive middle stretch of the season for BYU, and and I think they could potentially start with a couple of wins, probably go winless for a few, might pick up kind of one of the West Virginia Iowa State games. I just think it's going to be a bit of a longer year for uh, for. I think they're going to be not going to be blown out. They're going to be a level of competitive, but I think it's going to be a bit of a long year for BYU. I don't know if they can go down to Fayetteville and beat Arkansas. That's kind of a tough. That's a tough atmosphere to play in, and. We'll get into yeah. our Arkansas preview with um, our SEC preview, but Katie yeah, that's why I think they go two and one into that Kansas game. Two, definitely two and one in that Kansas game. But I forgot that they had Keen Slovis and Josh. I watched a lot of Keen Slovis tape over the last couple of years, watching Amon Ross St. Brown, watching Drake London. Keen Slovis is mm, does not inspire hope in me as as my quarterback transfer. He's what in his fifth, sixth year now, like. Uh, he has the touch of an elephant. I think it's the best way to describe it. Like that's that's gonna be tough, man. I I'm not sold on Keenan Slowis. I he fooled me once. I'm like, oh, he's gonna be good in the air raid offense, and he wasn't that good. And <laughs> another he, year experience. What do you another mean? year experience, <laughs> and he's on his third school now. Like, golly, this. Yeah. yeah, I'm not excited for that. <laughs> no. No, I, I, I think I'll agree with you. And, and I don't imagine I'll be watching too many BYU games. I don't imagine that'll be... I don't think we'll be fighting over BYU games in our top five game picks. <laughs> oh, maybe. You don't maybe. know that. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> Who you got next? All right, I'm going to take you to Houston with the Cougars joining the Big 12. Kind of a shocker that a Texas team would be allowed in the Big 12. But the Cougars with Dana Holgerson making his triumphant return. If you recall that he was the West Virginia coach back in 20, I think he left in 2019. He kind of, it was like a mutual agree, like separation. And he went over to G5, went to Houston and they've just been perfectly mediocre really ever since. And last year, you know, they went in eight, win eight games they lose their top quarterback in Clayton Toon. I I don't know, Josh. I I don't know if Houston is ready for like of all the teams that are making that jump. 
I'm, I'm a little worried for Houston. Like, Cincinnati, we know they lose a lot of production. They're going to suck. But Houston, I don't think they're there. I, I don't think that they're ready for just that that talent gap of the G5 recruits versus the P5 recruits. And while they did win 12 games two years ago, they had a very easy schedule, and Houston hasn't recruited really at a high level yet. There is tons of talent all around the state of Texas, as we know, but that talent's going to Ohio State, it's going to Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma, it's going everywhere but Houston. And Houston's kind of on that tertiary level, like top talent would rather go to TCU and Baylor and Texas Tech. Then there's Houston, who's getting like maybe fourth, fifth pick at recruits. And when you're going against these teams that are, have much more depth, it's going to be tough, Josh. And they just also have a tough schedule. They open up with UTSA, who we talked about them a little bit earlier, a couple previews ago. I'm high on those Roadrunners, and I expect UTSA to take it to Houston in San Antonio. They get Rice, which, you know, that should be an easy win. But then they open up their Big 12 play against TCU. We TCU loses a lot. They lose pretty much everything, and we have questions about them, but... I still don't see that as a win for them. They get Sam Houston State, who's making the jump from FCS to FBS. That should be a win. But then to get Texas, they have to go to Texas Tech. Texas Tech beat them last year. I don't see how Houston can get them again. West Virginia should be a manageable win. You know, Dana Holgerson's going to want to beat his old team. They get that in Houston. Then they have Texas, Kansas State, Baylor. That's three very tough game, very tough teams, Josh. I don't think they win those games either. They get Cincinnati, who I, they probably can beat Cincinnati just because there's no one left on that team. And they close out against Oklahoma State and UCF. I don't know, Josh. Like, I'm thinking maybe a six-win season. Seven is the best. Like, for Dana, you just want to go get above 500 because there might be smoke for your job in a hot seat. Do you know what Vegas have their win total at? I do not, but I can find that for you real quick. Because I wonder, oh yeah, I wonder what their win total is. Because I, when you said six, I was even thinking if it's six, I'll hammer the under on that. Because I don't, I think six might even be a stretch next year for them. They have it at four and a half. Yeah, I thought that six felt high. Um, would I? Take... Well, I'm saying six is like a great. That's a great season for them if they can get bowling. Yeah, four and a half is the lowest of the Big Twelve. It's tied with West Virginia, who. I think we'll get into next. Rice, Sam Houston, West Virginia's a toss-up. It's probably the Cincy game. Cin- yeah. It's probably Cincy. They, they're, they're, hovering, they're hovering around four right now. Yeah, I, I might even take the under on 4.5, which says ah. something tough for them. And and you just mentioned them, West Virginia. Uh, the saying is normally last but not least, but in this case, I feel like last might be least. Um, it's a it's a real kind of make or break season for Neil Brown. I think I feel like his seat is very very hot going into this season, a uh, five and seven season, mediocre. I was shocked he wasn't fired last year. I was shocked. I was shocked. Yeah, that's mediocre, kind of at best. Um, have, have a guess at what their record is in Big 12 play under him. You know? I'll give you the total under of Neil games. Brown. It's He's in his, what, 
35 games this season in, in 35 games i'm gonna guess that they have 10 and 25 record 14 and 21 so you're not far off yeah it's Ooh. not a great record um and everyone around them is getting better in this division the teams that have come in almost apart from probably one are pretty much blanket better than them Everybody already in the Big 12, I feel like, was already bigger than them, or better than them, should I say. They left spring with uncertainty at quarterback. I still think there's a little bit of kind of concern around kind of that position. The receiving core is kind of experiencing a hefty transition from last season as well. The defense has to take a step forward, because if they don't, they're going to win even less games. They gave up 32.9 points per game last season which is just unacceptably bad. You're not going to win any games giving up 33 points a game. I'm going to jump in on the offense. It's a little bit lighter touch of West Virginia just because I don't know how many people listening are diehard West Virginia fans, and if they are, we'll do you a separate pod if you're that diehard. But West Virginia are going to be a tough watch this year, and, and they were a tough research as well. Um, they, they return all five of their offensive line stars from last season, though, which is a big plus for them. Kind of Five guys coming back on the O-line is big. Three of their running backs are coming back. It's a decent level of kind of of, of of holdover. And you imagine they're going to be running the ball quite a lot this year. I feel like they're going to be kind of a, a pretty pretty potent or pretty run-heavy offense they're going to, that's going to kind of eat up a lot of their play calls. And returning five starters and your three kind of key running backs is is, is very useful when, when that's kind of the direction you want to go in with your offense. At quarterback, they've got junior Garrett Green or redshirt freshman Nico Martial. That's kind of their two candidates. I couldn't find information around the camp battle. I was trying to read around what's happening in camp. I was trying to get some information and I just was struggling, genuinely was struggling to find any information about it. So I know that kind of going into spring, uh, that that was kind of a huge kind of, that was a big talking point for them on offense. That was the big battle. Uh, and kind of, it's going to be one of those two guys. I don't know if you can find it now, Tyler. See if you can find kind of if anything's come out of there, but I couldn't find anything around the West Virginia kind of quarterback spring battle. Um, but that's kind of a, a big one for them, and this is an interesting stat. Whoever it is, so both of those guys were signed by were signed by West Virginia. They both recruited there as high school guys. It will be the first, whichever one of those guys starts week one, it will be the first quarterback signed by West Virginia out of high school to start under centre for them in a season opener since 2013. Can you get the quarterback? Oh, 2013... I'm going to say, shoot, what's his name? The open against Alabama. Shoot, what's his name? Paul Millard. Oh, that's not who I was thinking. 2013 Never mind. was the last guy who was recruited by WVU and started week one, which is a that's crazy insane. stat. <laughs> that's at least six. Because Will Greer, who came from... Wilger came from Florida. Um, last year, Keen Slovis came from USC. Year before that, Kenny Pickett came from Tennessee. It's not a good track record. Ooh. We keep going. It's not a good track record. So I just found that fascinating. That this year, that's getting broken. It's been ten years, ten years since a quarterback that was recruited by WVU played in the season opener. This year, that That's changes. Insane. WVU are back, baby. They're not going to suck. No, they are. They're going to be shit. And the defense is a big reason why. Let me jump into the defense. Disastrous 2022. I've already mentioned it once before. You know, they 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 were averaging 33 points given up a game. 
next to last in the Big 12 in points allowed and pass defense allowed 262.7 yards per game dead last in interceptions they had four there was only two teams in the whole nation that had less interceptions than them last year they just need more production at every single level on the defense they just need more of everything they just need a level of production from it literally every single unit on the field the d-line's going to be led kind of by uh, uh in-state product guys come from West, uh, West Virginia Sean Martin had eight tackles for loss four sacks last year I think he'll be a, a, a kind of one of the few kind of bright sparks of this team and uh, their leading tackler returns uh, Lee Pogba uh, so they got a couple of guys that kind of uh, are on their way back and a couple of kind of bright spots but again I think it's going to be a very very tough tough year for, for West Virginia again and I do think that they're going to be the worst team uh, and I don't like calling it at this stage but for me they're pretty comfortably the worst team and I think it's almost certainly the last year in uh, in WVU for Neil Brown Vegas has their win total at four and a half Josh over or under let me pull the schedule up but I'm already leaning towards the under so where do they go I got it right here they start with Penn State that's that's a loss, loss. they'll get Duquesne that should be a win Pittsburgh, I'm I'm leaning more towards Pitt on this one. Texas Tech, I'm leaning obviously Texas Tech. TCU, that could be depending on what TCU is though. You'd you'd imagine that TCU is a favorite in that game. They have a bye week. They get Houston. That could be a very significant game for both those teams based off of you know one which coach is still there, but two. No, Vegas odds. Who gets that win? One of those teams has to win. Then they have Oklahoma State, UCF, BYU, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Baylor. I'm always give me the under, there, Josh. Give me the under. Yeah, I'm I all over the under. under I think the, the 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 two bomb teams or kind of two off the bomb teams that we've just looked at here. I think I quite comfortably will be taking the under for both of those. I am not that high on kind of either of these teams, especially with how high I am on some of the other teams in this conference I feel like that kind of middle pack could go any direction but I feel like all of them are pretty comfortably above the kind of two that are at the bottom well Josh we do have one more team though far away Iowa State and they were pretty bad last year and I was like oh what what happened to Iowa State and realized oh they lost all their production. They lost Brock Purdy to the NFL. They lost Brees Hall to the NFL. Like they, they lost all these players, and it kind of seemed like Matt Campbell's window to jump from Iowa State to a better P5 job or perhaps the NFL. I know there's some rumblings there. Looks like that window is kind of passed them by, and going into this preview and this research, I'm like, oh, they're going to suck. I don't have to pay much attention to Iowa State. But the more I read, the more I like. And it's last but they I don't think they are least I think that they might surprise a lot of people because they return pretty much everybody except their number one receiver from last year Xavier Hutchinson they got a brand new offense coordinator the offense was rough last year a lot of mistakes and they lost seven so they went four and eight last year Josh they lost seven games by one score that's that's a flip and you're returning 10 starters on offense I'm I'm optimistic. I am very optimistic with the new offense coordinator Nate Shalice. Oh my God, I'm Shalahasi. 
promoted from running backs to receive and receivers coach to offense coordinator. He played at Illinois back in 2011. Like it's only 31 years old. Like this could be a fun offense. And on defense, they do lose six starters, including Will McDonald, who was one of the best pass rushers in the country last year. And one of the all-time leading best big 12 pass rushers. But they bring in some more guys in the transfer portal. I'm very optimistic on Iowa State. Vegas has them at five and a half. They have a favorable schedule. And with that much return production, it's kind of hard not to be high on a team. I think I'd take that. I think I'd quite comfortably take that over. Looking at the schedule now, Northern Iowa, then Iowa, at Ohio, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, TCU. That's a tough little stretch in the middle. But then at Cincinnati, at Baylor, that's a winnable game at Baylor. That's definitely a winnable game for for, for this side. Kansas at BYU, Texas, Kansas State. So they kind of got a few big hurdles to kind of get around. But there's a there's there's a comfortable six seven wins in there for me. And Matt Campbell is he's so reliable as a head coach. I I trust him to kind of turn this team around. I don't see Iowa State regressing to the way they've been in the past, where they're like the constant bottom feeder of the Big 12. Like, no, I think that they can get back to bowling. And if you recall, two years ago, they were in the Big 12 championship. They went toe-to-toe against Oklahoma. They beat Oregon in a Fiesta Bowl. Like, they had a first-round draft pick last year. Like, no, Iowa State's got dudes. It's got talent. I like them as my, my kind of sneaky, oh, they're bouncing back. Like, let's, let's get psyched about the Cyclones, Josh. I'll leave them for you. I'll I'll leave them for you. I'll let you get excited about the Cyclones because uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I, okay. I I I I don't okay. I don't mind them. I don't mind them. I'm not as high on them as you. I think they they you know you know what you get with them. They're gonna be tough. They're gonna play you hard. They're gonna be well drilled. They're not gonna make it easy for you. You're gonna have to fight for every single yard you want there. And 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 the guys coming back on offense is a big one for me. I do I do that is it that is a big plus. And and as you said that kind of them losing was it six or seven games by one score or, or, or whatever that is a that is a, a, a sign of a, of a of a team that forces you to play or they play you close a team that's well drilled a team that fights you and they're, they're going to be tough for a lot of teams next year and this is why I'm not as concerned about them going up against some of the bigger hitters because yes they're probably not going to come out on top but it's going to make them better as a team and that's going to really get them through some of their middle middle kind of pack games that they're going to be fine well, their issue last year was they just made so many dumb errors and silly mistakes. Like, they were in position to win probably at least five more games, and, like, it came down to the last drive of, like, just Xavier Hutchinson dropping a ball or, like, I, I remember against Texas, he just had a bonehead fumble on, like, what would have been a game-winning drive and just fumbles by running backs, QBs not making the right decisions. Just single plays that kill you. Literally Sing, single, single plays. plays that kill you, exactly. And... Bring in a new offense coordinator. Hope to like regenerate the offense. Like, all right, get a new system going. Like, get have some fun, air it out. And when you return five linemen, like that's that's big. And I I can see how you know you mentioned Josh. They do drag teams into the mud. They took Texas to the wire. They took TCU to the wire. Or excuse me, TCU was their one loss that was not to the wire. It was Oklahoma they took to the wire. Like everybody was just one score games and three plays here or there like is the difference between them maybe going nine and three last year or four and eight last year yeah but that's football you got it good teams execute and good teams prevail good teams find a way 
good teams find a way. Exactly. It's always good been the find quote. a way. Well, and that kind of wraps up our look at uh, look at all the teams in the Big Twelve, and, and and I think kind of a lot of our conversations, you know, have kind of we've had some different opinions on teams, we've had some same opinions on teams. I think it really kind of illustrates just how much of a of an exciting season we've got coming coming from the Big Twelve. We don't know exactly what to expect from pretty much anyone outside of the top kind of one and the bottom kind of one or two. That kind of everybody else is kind of a unknown quantity at this stage. So uh, I do think it is exciting, but. That being said, who is your top two teams coming out of the Big 12 this year? My top two teams, Josh. It's going to be Texas. And this might shock you. I'm going with Texas Tech. I have them as my number two team. I think that last game, Texas Tech versus Texas, that's just going to be part one. We're going to get a rematch a week later. And I'm excited for it. And... I, I can't I can't in good faith say Texas is gonna win the Big Twelve because Texas is not back, folks. Horns down, get your guns up, Texas Tech, bold prediction. They go ten and two, eleven and two winning the Big Twelve conference. I love it. Book it. I love it. That's gonna be fun. That's gonna be interesting. We've gone a slightly different direction. I've gone with Texas. I think Texas is gonna be the one of the top two conference teams, but I said it once, I said it before, I've got bird flu, I've got the avian influenza, Kansas Jayhawks, it's going to be Texas, Kansas, it's going to be, Texas are going to take the, the, the title though, they're going to win their first title since 2009, but I can tell you now, the player of the year is going to be Jalen Daniels, he's going to light up the Big 12, Jalen Daniels takes Kansas to the number two spot, Texas, Kansas, book it now. I love that, I love that. As I say, for my player of the year, I'm going Xavier Worthy. Like he, He's my number one receiver, or my number three receiver, I'd say, going into next year because, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is obviously number one. Um, number one in the Big 12? Number one in the Big, number one in the Big 12. Probably number three I have overall in top five. Definitely draft prospect. It's still early in my draft prospect research. Romeo Dunza from Washington. Very good player as well. Um, he's my Big, Ten, or Big 12 player of the year. Nice. I love it. Now, I, I, I kind of got in my notes, the next thing I was going to have a look at was kind of the, the draft prospects that we're tracking. And, and I've, I've mentioned a lot of names kind of in the individual team preview. So I, like from, from my side personally, there's not really anyone specifically I wanted to shout out outside of kind of the guys I already have. Xavier Worthy is the biggest guy who I will quickly give another another shout out to. He, he is the really, really kind of top guy I'm, I'm tracking in this conference. And there's a few more names that will come up and I'm sure we'll get to them kind of as the season goes on uh, and as we're watching kind of the games each week. But kind of outside of the guys I've already mentioned, kind of I'm, I'm happy to move on to the next, uh, the, the, the game draft if you are. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do it. So who's got first pick this week? I can't remember who had it last week. <sighs> you started, then me. So it might be you. Gordon, you take first All pick. All right. First pick. This is an easy one for me. I look forward to this game every year. I watch it every year. It's the Red River Shootout, Oklahoma, Texas, the last edition in the Big 12 before they move to the SEC. That's my number one pick. Yeah, and I was thinking, ah, do I go Texas, Alabama? No, I think the Red River Shootout's going to be way closer. It's 
I also just like the storylines behind it. Texas could very well just get smoked in that game <laughs> against Bama. They could, for That's sure. Like, for sure. Because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a good, fun game, not necessarily a um, rankings game, which I think Texas-Bama is. But for my second game, this one's easy. You know me. It's going to be week two, Oregon at Texas. I mentioned it earlier. That's going to be overrunners should easily be 70 and over under punch should probably be two and a half like it's no gonna be a fun that game no balls get the only kicks are happening are kickoffs like i don't i'm not even sure extra points are gonna be kicked josh it's, it's gonna be a fun game and it's in lubbock a true home and home series which you just don't see that much of in power five football like teams they'd rather just do a one-off neutral site and like neutral site and air quotes like texas just going to jerry world or oklahoma going to jerry like it's no give me these true home and home scenarios and west texas in the first second week of september it's gonna be hot as hell like how does oregon adjust to that like it's gonna be a night game in lubbock those students are gonna be tossing tortillas onto the field josh it's gonna be wild it's gonna be a fun game and and seeing that it was the only kind of uh or the i think one of the first times oregon's been mentioned kind of in the pod as well i I didn't even add that one to my list i knew you'd be taking that one early yeah yeah the next game on my list and and this is kind of sticking to the theme that i've got going on with uh with the kansas love this year and is kansas at oklahoma because that's kind of the big one for kansas if they are going to be making that push that kansas at oklahoma game is going to be massive jalen daniels going into oklahoma I think that's going to be a really, really fun matchup, and and if the if the Kansas defense shows any level of performance this year and slows any, shows any kind of upgrade, which I'm kind of hoping for and slightly expecting, then I do think that's going to be a great matchup. That's a great pick, and Josh, when's the last time Kansas beat Oklahoma? I can count the amount of times they've kept it close, but when's the last time they've won? Ooh, that's a good question. A I don't know. It's been a very long time. At least it's got to be at least ten years, right? I don't know. I'm going to look it up now. You pull up your next game. I'm going to find it. All right. Well, you look for that. I'm with my next game. I mentioned it earlier. I'm dubbing it game part one, Texas Tech at Texas. Last game of the season. Like, this is going to be the first matchup with the second one being that Big 12 championship, like I'm calling it. It's going to be a lot of fun because Tech got Texas number last year. They kind of embarrassed Texas. Joey McGuire is... This young hotshot high school coach and Steve Sarkeesian is supposed to be the, the mastermind and just got beat at his own game. They're getting the game in Austin. It's going to be rocking. That's my third pick. That's a great pick. I like that one. That's going to be good fun. So I've got it here. Oklahoma Sooners and the Kansas Jayhawks have played 111 times in a series OU has dominated. Oklahoma's won each of the last 16 matchups. The last time Kansas picked up the win was 1997. The last of three wow. straight wins over the Sooners in the series. So I do have one Kansas win in my lifetime against Oklahoma. <laughs> I was born in 96, so depending on when it happened in 96. 97. I've got... But it was, they won three in a row. So that was their... They had oh, okay. A, so okay. you might have two. <laughs> might have two, yeah. All right, we got two. We got we two got in two. We got two. It's happened twice. <laughs> Well, maybe we see three this year. The players playing in this game, Josh, were not alive when Kansas last beat Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, all these 2001, 2002 birthdays I keep seeing. Well, That's crazy. Where do I go now? 
I'm gonna go with this. I'm gonna go with this one because I just like what it means, and it's not gonna be that. I don't think it's gonna be that close of a game. It's a game that again's been dominated by Oklahoma, but because Oklahoma are moving to the SEC next year, give me Oklahoma at OK State. This game has happened every single year since 1909. That place is going to be rocking. If Oklahoma State can somehow beat Oklahoma in the last time they match up, I mean, whoever wins this final game, regardless of how much the series has been dominated, they get the bragging rights, and that will piss Oklahoma fans off if the last time they play OK State, they lose. Josh, I love the Bedlam game. I think that's my favorite to second favorite non-like that's required viewing every single year doesn't matter how good either team is just throw it all out the window because some crazy shit's happening late at night and there's just something about late early late november in stillwater black as night sky wearing beautiful black and orange jerseys and the place is just nuts josh that's a great pick for my fourth one, I can go a lot of directions here. I'm going to stick with... I'm going to go Baylor at TCU. Last year, TCU wins on a walk-off field goal. A scramble drill walk-off field goal. That kept TCU's hopes of a national championship alive. This year, I think Baylor's going to want some payback. They're going into Fort Worth. And I think... TCU is going to be in for a shocker. Baylor is going to pile it on Josh. Yeah, for sure. They they're going to be they're going to be fired up for that game. But I like that game. That's that's that was quite high on my list that game. So I think that's going to be a really fun one. There's not been much crossover, so I've kind of got a few games on my list now that I'm like I, I'm 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 torn. I'm looking at two right now. One of them is we've mentioned both teams. Hmm. I don't know where I'm going to go with this one. Give me, give me, give me, give me, do you know what? Give me Kansas State at Kansas. I think that's going to be... Good pick. I think that's going to be a, a, a fun game this year. Of uh, kind of expecting Kansas to be to be better than they were last year. And they were a great offense last year. I think they're going to be stronger this year. As, as, as you guys know, I've been, been running all podcast and... I think Kansas State are going to take somewhat of a regression from last year. And I think they're going to be kind of reaching the heights that they did, so... That's going to be an interesting one. Kansas State on the road in Kansas. I like that pick. For my final pick, I have f- so I have four games that are all out-of-conference games. I'm trying to decide which one I want to pick. Hmm. You know, I think I'm sticking with Baylor. I'm going to do Baylor at Utah. I think this could be a sneaky marquee out-of-conference matchup. Especially if that Baylor defense is kind of what we're expecting. And Utah is a... Like, these are just two similar teams. Hard-nosed, grind it out, punch in the mouth. Like, at Utah, too. Place going to be rocking. I'm excited for this game now. I think it also falls on the same day that Oregon plays Texas Tech and Oklahoma State plays Arizona State. Like, it's a Pac-12 versus Big 12 matchup. And just every storyline associated with those two conferences right now like i'm i'm kind of digging this game right now josh i'm going baylor at utah that's a great pick 
that's a great pick. I do think that's going to be a great game. Utah are always fun to watch as well. I've always, I always enjoy watching Utah offenses. So, no, then it's a great pick. I, I'm still torn because, as I said, there's not been a whole lot of crossover. So I've got a couple of games here. I've, I've just been trying to kind of... Which says a lot about the Big 12. Like, there's going to be a lot of good games. It does. It, it, it absolutely does. A lot, of, a lot of big games. And I think it stems from some of the stuff we've touched on with a lot of kind of unknowns with teams. But I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Oklahoma at BYU. And I'm going to go with Oklahoma at BYU because it's the first time in a long time these teams have matched up. And the last winner, I believe, was BYU. Back in 2009, I think. I, me, That's correct. Back in 2009, BYU, they were ranked number three. I'm reading now, they were ranked number three at the time, Oklahoma were. And week Some one. Some people had as number one. Some people had him as number one. Yeah, there we go. So Oklahoma BYU that kind of rounds it out. I'm going to quickly give me give my honorable mentions because I did have a couple of games in there. Um, I don't know if you mentioned Baylor Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech are going to be in a very strong position, but that's always a very very fun rivalry. I was actually at that game a couple of years ago, double overtime Baylor win, great game. Um, I then had the oh the uh, Big Twelve championship game from last year, TCU Kansas State. It's quite funny because I see both teams kind of taking a step down. So it's both like two teams kind of met at the top, and now two teams are going to meet slightly not at the top. Uh, but I think that'll be a fun. I think that'll be a fun matchup. Yeah, and that's why I didn't have them on my list because I expect both those teams to kind of regress. I'm like, yeah, it, if they're both going to be good again, I'm like, that's going to be a hype game. That's going to be awesome. But like, yeah, they're gonna, they're going to take a regression. Josh, I'm going to give you one trivia question for that Oklahoma team in 2009. Do you know who the quarterback was? When they lost to BYU, week one is it? Did the guy play the whole so, season, or did he start week one? And- so we got hurt. Oh, this is this is the hint that should probably give it away. He started that week one, but got hurt and missed the rest of the year. Think of a quarterback that got hurt a lot. And another hint: he played in the NFL. I'm blanking. I'm blanking. I'm blanking. Help me out. Sam Bradford. Was it really? I'm going to double verify that fact. It was Sam Bradford. Damn. That's a great bit of trivia. Wow. Brent Venables was the defensive coordinator for that Oklahoma team also. That's that's funny. Yeah. Sam Bradford was the starting quarterback for that game. Got knocked out. Was it a concussion? Uh, it was collarbone. Oh, he, collarbone. Uh, collarbone. collarbone. Yeah. With you. With you. Well, I mean that kind of wraps up our Big Twelve, Big Twelve preview. Kind of get, uh, gone through the teams, yeah, gone through kind of games, gone through predictions. Um, yeah. Any kind of final notes? Anything you wanted to wanted to note before we kind of wrap it up today? Um, yeah, I think those last couple things is you know the Big Twelve is going to get very weird in the next two weeks. So keep F five in your keyboard because who knows what's going to happen with the conference realignment. Um, we had a little bit of technical technical difficulties with our Big Ten preview. So that's going to be coming out a little bit after this show. It's supposed to be before, but just didn't work out that way. So that'll be coming out after this. Then we'll have our much-anticipated Pac-12 preview because, Josh, I'm in love with the Pac-12 this season. It's going to be the last year of the Pac-12. Very excited. And we'll have our SEC preview to round it out. Um, yeah, that's that's all I got. Yeah, and, and I just want to echo your thoughts. Um, Pac-12 preview is going to be a lot of fun. And that's next week. That's next week. Um, do we go Pac-12 next week? We do go Pac-12 next week. Um, yeah. And then, then where do we go after that? SEC? We still got to get a Mac SEC. in at some point. We'll try to get a Mac in. Probably a midweek for the Mac. 
Uh, it's only fitting for the Mac that we get a, a midweek preview in. And we could we could preview the Sun Belt as well. I think the Sun Belt's probably the best G5 conference, perhaps the Mountain West. We might just actually end up doing a whole group of five the rest, yeah. preview. Yeah. Um, and then week zero will be upon us. And then the full... Before you know it. The, the reviews. The pre, you've had the previews, then the reviews start. <laughs> Josh, 30... Less than 30 days away. I'm so Less pumped. than 30 days. Let's go. Let's go. Well, follow us on Twitter uh, at Think, Think Football Josh, T-H-N-K-F-T Ball Josh. Uh, you're thinking F-T Ball Ty. Yeah, I'll pop it up on the screen as well. Um, I'm on threads as well. Hit me up on threads. I think I'm just at Josh Proud on threads. Oh, it's not even Twitter anymore. It's X. It's X. the oh, yeah, X. Get your Xs out. I feel like WWE. Who, who was it? DX. It was DX, wasn't it? It was... Um, Oh, this is going to piss as me off. George Strait says, all my exes live in Texas. That, that fits right in with our Big 12 preview right there, Josh. Fits perfectly. Fits perfectly. But, well, until next week, have a good one, guys, and uh, we'll see you for the Pac-12 preview. Take care. <laughs>